Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network. In the future, none of you are heroes. You're legends. Get driven. Stay driven. Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, and thank you for tuning in to our Thursday night programming of Totally Driven Radio. <laughs> but why wouldn't you tune into the greatest show heard all around the world? Um, 
let me give you a little background. Uh, years and years ago, I was involved with a, a promoter. His name was Don Ogle. And um, oh, this was back in uh, 98, so it's been a while ago. Um, and he was actually involved with uh, Evil. Evil was trying to put together a museum in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And this guy was studying daredevils, and he come across me, and we started talking. And uh, he offered to uh, try and do some promotions for me. And uh, one of the things he did was put me in contact with Evil himself. And uh, out of nowhere, I get a phone call one night uh, at this very familiar voice, Henry there. Yeah, this is Henry. Henry S. is Evil Knievel. And there was no doubt, and you know, nobody could fool that voice. Uh, and this started the uh, my, I guess you would say, I, I finally got the... In, into the inner circle, uh, and Evil offered to fly me to Las Vegas, uh, which I accepted. And we went there to talk about uh, the museum that they were planning for Pigeon Forge. And also, we were going to, to promote it, we were going to talk about doing a show with Robbie Knievel, his son. And... Uh, Unfortunately, the guy that was doing the promotion, Don, uh, he's a great guy. Uh, I talked to him one night, and about, oh, 90 minutes later after we hung up, I got a phone call, and it was a, a woman asking me who, who this was on the phone, and I told her, and she said, well, uh, Don just died. Uh, he was... Oh. Uh, he laid down to go to sleep, and I guess he had an aneurysm in his sleep. Oh. So, yeah, that pretty much put the skids on uh, Pigeon Forge. Um, I understand a bike, one of Evil's bikes was uh, acquired there, uh, and it ended up being, I got a story on that, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Just remind me. But uh, anyway, this has been a very long uh, dream of uh, Evil Knievel to have this museum. Uh, I really don't think, you know, he's a, you know, like all daredevils, he had a bit of a egomania going on. But I, you know, I actually met him and hung out with him, and he was he was a very nice guy. He's the king, and he knew it, and everybody else knew it, and uh, he handled it very graciously. Uh, and there's a lot of people telling me, oh, you better not go. He's going to disappoint you because he's kind of, uh, you know, overbearing, whatever. They said that about Robbie, too. And i, I got to say, both those guys were great. So uh, years and years later, I start uh, getting in contact with a fella named Lathan McKay. And he started acquiring evil bikes and uh actually that pigeon forge bike uh i went down tennessee just on a vacation and i seen a big sign that said the evil knievel xr 750 is here so of course i had to go check it out uh walked in there and the owners of the museum were very gracious and they 
let me crawl all over the bike and uh, take pictures with it. And it said, the sign said it was a 1963 uh, Harley-Davidson XLR. I'm not real familiar with those, but what it turned out to be was uh, the gas tank and the fender, the rear fender of the Wembley bike uh, put on top of a Roger Raymond uh, XLR motorcycle, which anybody that knows Evil Knievel, Roger Raymond was Evil Knievel's main mechanic. And uh, unfortunately, I believe in 95, he was racing, uh, he's a world champion flat track racer. And he uh, was racing in the uh, Masters class, and uh, he had an accident and got killed. So Roger couldn't make it to the opening of the museum, and I believe one other crew member didn't make it. That was Larry Monroe, and uh, that was unfortunate. But everybody else of Evil's crew was there. And um, so, you know, uh, back to me and Lathan uh, getting to know each other, uh, he asked me about this bike. I told him where it was, so he went on a mission to track it down and acquire it, which he did. And uh, he took off the pieces he wanted, eventually got the other, you know, the rest of it. But uh, uh, the tank and the rear fender are uh, pretty priceless. And uh, uh, we, we, I helped him uh, get a hold of uh, Robbie's manager who owned uh, the semi, uh, Big Red, and they did a whole, I don't know, you remember the, the TV show, they did a big bunch of shit where they acted like it was missing for years and nobody knew where it was and all that. Right, you know, right. You see that? Yes. Um, and they had, uh, they had it like, uh, Bubba Blackwell was the only one that knew where it was and gosh, gosh, I'll tell you, I know exactly where it's at. Well, you know, whatever. I never really cared about uh, being associated with that. I just, for years, I have a harp online, and people can back this up. I show pictures of a uh, completely destroyed big red that was painted blue and white because Robbie had it painted to uh, suit him for a 1981-82 uh, world tour. Uh, so he painted the iconic red and white truck and made it blue and white. And uh, they come out with this show of uh, this, probably the, if not the, one of the most famous uh, celebrity uh, motorsport haulers ever. And uh, it was just sitting in the junkyard wasting away. And, uh, I knew about this because of Don, the promoter, Don Ogle. He he went and looked at it. Evil took him and showed it to him. And there's pictures of Don and Evil standing by Big Red. That's where that's how I knew where it was, and that was uh, in the late 90s. But uh, we uh, discussed uh, what should be done and uh, with me harping on the Internet about uh, the condition this truck was in. And it was really pushing the boundaries of 
getting to the point of no return. And it was very upsetting that this, you know, it's iconic, but it was also a piece of our childhood. Absolutely. was just wasting away uh, and neglected. And it didn't have to be that way. I just knew it needed to be in the hands of the right person. And, uh, uh, you know, seven and a half billion people on this planet, and there's only one person that could get this done, and that's Lathan McKay. And um, my hat is off to everything he's done. Uh, he says a lot of times in posts, you know, you know posts and pictures, and he just puts on their passion. Well, that's exactly what it is. So you fast forward to last Friday, I gathered up my wonderful parents and um, a crew member slash family member, uh, Mr. Mike Johnson, and uh, we jumped in uh, the old Cherokee and went to visit Topeka. So that's where. Now, how long of a drive was that for you? Uh, about with traffic and everything, it's about thirteen and a half hours. I think we got back last night. At, we did it at about twelve. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> um. Now, the uh, I guess the award for the most time involved is uh, Darren and Ethan Harvey, which I know they're still en route home. I don't think they're home yet. Uh, 30 hours, and they came from London, England. So did Brian Richards. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of English guys there, and, you know, Evil was huge in England because, you know, it's the Ken went over there and did a jump and busted his ass and uh, got up and uh, walked it off with a broken pelvis. And uh, apparently that impressed a lot of people over there because he <laughs> has a lot of fans. So that was pretty and you got you got people like those guys who really help keep evil spirit alive. Absolutely, I mean, especially Brian and Darren. They uh, they have contributed pieces to this museum. They uh, stay really. I mean, they're part of the inner circle for sure. Uh, and they they're not doing this for any kind of profit. It's just sheer love. I mean. That's the the thing with all of these people. It's just the pure love of uh, wanting to see this happen, and uh, as a really a collaboration of a lot of great people. And uh, yeah, well, we'll get into the uh, museum in a minute, but uh, I'm completely impressed uh, how many people are willing to do in a lot of a uh, lot of ways almost impossible things to get this thing done. Yeah, and you just said something, which actually I came across too uh, real quick when I was looking for that we were talking last night about trying to find a, uh, the actual lineup of the weekend, and I was doing a search last night trying to find what I could, and, and one of the things I found, it mentioned that the museum is actually non-profit, and I was kind of like taken back by that. Well, it's a non-profit, but I mean, that at affords, um, uh, I don't know how they manage to accomplish that. I don't know what, I, I believe that's probably a lot of red tape. I don't know the inner workings of that, but my guess is, now, now I'll tell you something. I just got interrupted by something. 
but it's pretty uh it's pretty impressive. Fourth of July. I've never seen one in Ohio. Bald eagle just flew by me. How cool is that? Oh wow. A <laughs> big Very one too. Nice. Um <laughs> anyway, uh yeah, it's a non profit organization and I, I think the reason they did that was to guarantee that this museum will be around. It won't be a flash in the pan. You know, this nonprofit status offers a lot of protections. Uh, it can, it, it, and as Lathan told me, it can never shrink. It can only grow. So gotcha. they have their eyes. This is a legacy thing for them, I believe, and they have their eyes towards uh, it staying um, there for uh, many, many years. And that's that makes me happy. Now, do you know why they um, – I, I, we might even have talked to Lathan about this. I can't remember. But do you know why they chose Kansas as the location, Not like instead of maybe Butte, Evil's hometown, or even Vegas where Evil really truly made his name? Well, it's actually very clever. Uh, there's a couple things. Um, you say Evil made his name. Evil was red, red hot in Kansas in his heyday. And if you look, most of his crew guys came from Kansas. I believe uh, Draper's from Wichita, um, uh, uh, Lee uh, Ratliff, I I believe he's from Kansas, uh, and a couple other guys, they're all from that area. And, uh, you know, and Draper was telling me the other day that, you know, back in that day, they, you know, they booked Evil for Kansas State Fair, I believe, and uh, they didn't know what an Evil Knievel was, really. It was like uh, 72. So, you know, they heard about them, and, you know, uh, you know how fairs are. They're usually run by committee, and that committee is usually pretty pretty old. So they really wasn't in tune with what an Evil Knievel was. And it's my understanding that Evil negotiated the deal. You're going to pay me X amount of money, plus you're going to give me a percentage of the gate. And uh, uh, very uh, uh, naive of the board to say yes, because according to Draper, they went beyond having, you know, it, it was more than standing room only. They were lined up all all around the track. Nobody packed that place like Evil did. And they really gave away a lot of money to Evil, and he was very happy about it. And uh, that started a love affair with Kansas and Evil. And uh, that's how a lot of those crew guys got involved. And then uh, the other thing is, I believe Lathan said, that uh, Kansas is right directly in the middle of the United States. So it's, you know, around 12 hours from everywhere. So it's centrally located, and people can come and uh, check it out, and it's not really that overwhelming to drive. I mean, I came from uh, Van Wert. Everybody knows I live in Van Wert. Uh, If you don't know where that's at, it's right across the border from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And it was, I basically drove up the road for about 50 miles on 127, turned right, hit I-70, and stayed on that for 700 miles. Wow. Took me right to Topeka. So, I mean... it was a good drive. Uh, we got to Topeka, and 
I got to say, for you know, that's the state cap capital, I believe. Uh, everybody there was, you know, for being a state capital. I know it's not the biggest state capital in the United States, but you know, it's a larger city. Uh, man, they they act like it's just a small hometown. Everybody, everybody walking on the street, very very nice, very very pleasant. Uh, you know, nice. Uh, open the door for you. And, you know, I mean, kind of a little bit of. Uh, Mayberry going on there, and that's a good thing. <laughs> we need more of that. So, uh, so, so yeah, that was the uh, town. Then you're saying the town of Topeka was pretty open and uh, excited to have this whole thing happen in them. My understanding before I even went there that the community really uh, uh, was really uh, receptive to this idea because it brings some tourism, and uh, now. You can tell that the, the town shows its age a little bit, but uh, it's very clean. Uh, it just looks like a shot out of Andy Griffith. Wow. It's kind of kind of sleepy. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of stuff to do there, it looks like, but uh, the only thing I was uh, interested in was Evil Knievel, so I didn't get out much. I was busy with all that, but... Uh, uh, the town is, uh, and its people, all very nice. I mean, if you're going to put a museum somewhere, I think that's probably a place to do it. Nice. Hmm. Very, very cool. So now, I, I, everything was on Friday. It, it kicked off on Friday evening, correct? Correct. Uh, about 5.30 p.m. Uh, we... I brought my mom, my, I had, both myself and my mother had a mission. Uh, Robbie had seen my mom. Let's see how to how to start this story. Uh, all through my life, obviously, been involved with uh, evil can evil. So by osmosis, so is my mom and my dad. You know, I really drove them nuts with that. Uh, so my mom was very interested in meeting Robbie. And, uh, of course, the TV show that I did, Heirs to the Dare, had a segment that turned out to be the favorite of the show was uh, me and my mom arguing about who's better, uh, Evil Knievel or Elvis. My mom's a big Elvis fan. And uh, it pretty much endeared everybody to my mother. uh and anybody that's ever seen the show, that's the first thing they have. How's your mom doing? So, uh, you know, they're, you know, they're getting up in a, enough age where they do, don't really want to travel a whole lot. Um, but she decided she wanted to go there because she wanted to meet Robbie Knievel. And uh, so this went on for a couple couple weeks. Do you think I'll get to meet him? I said, Yeah, you get to meet him. Really? I said, I guarantee the first thing he's going to say is, uh, you're right, Elvis is better. Because he said that to me several times, laughing about our argument on TV. Robbie seen the show and loved it. And uh, oddly enough, when I was younger, uh, Robbie and I looked like we could have been brothers. I mean, maybe twin brothers. We were very close to, you know, that people have confused me with Robbie several times. Um, I'll tell you what, you so, put a bunch of pictures up the other day uh, when you were younger 
uh, like high school yeah. pictures and stuff, stuff like that. And I said to my exact thing to myself, like, you would have thought that was Robbie Knievel. Yeah, yeah, we looked a lot alike. Uh, and there's a, there, I think it's in Australia, there's a picture of Evil and Robbie standing there, both in their uh, jumpsuits. And it looks exactly like me. And everybody that knows me seen that. Wow, that that's amazing resemblance. So, and then the funny thing about that is Robbie's uh, mom, Linda, and my mom look amazingly similar. So there's a couple doctoral gangers going on there, and then Robbie's crew chief, Bill Rundle, who was at the uh, museum opening, he resembles my crew chief, Russ Bell. There's uh, they're about a goatee away from looking just alike. So I mean, there's some funny similarities, uh, like a uh, different universe competing with each other. But uh, yeah, that's pretty neat. So uh, we drive, and I hear my mom. You know, oh, I hope I get the meeting. I hope I get the meeting. We get there. And uh, pull into the uh, uh, Capitol Plaza Hotel and get out of the car to check in. Walk directly in there. Robbie Knievel standing right there. <laughs> so I said, hey, Mom, meet Robbie Knievel. And just, you know, my mom lit up. And, uh, you know, she told him, she said, I have uh, known so much about you. You're practically family. It's awesome to see, and he, he was very gracious with her. Gave her a hug and looked at her and said, Elvis is better. Everybody's cracking up. And, uh, so the first five minutes we got there, her mission was accomplished. And then now, was she ready to home also, that? <laughs> Yeah, also in the lobby was uh, uh, Gene Sullivan, the, uh, the uh, preacher, jumper, slash former bodyguard of Evil Knievel. He was there. Uh, Doug Danger, um, Lewis Ray, uh, the English fellows I talked about, Darren and Brian. Um, who else? Uh, George Sedlak, Evil Stainer. I mean, if you're talking Evil Knievel, you walk right in the lobby of a pretty much a murderer's row of uh, Evil Knievel fans and jumpers and you know, associates, and uh, Draper was there. I mean, it, it was stacked. I mean, I could have turned around after 10 minutes, went home, and seen everybody. <laughs> oh, so that's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty pretty fun. So I had time to uh, – they had a couple hours. Uh, I think everything started about 530. Uh, me and Mike made our way over there. And uh, they had uh, uh, everything laid out, you know, tents, is re- you know, Kansas, so it was really warm out, but uh, had it laid out beautifully. I mean, that, that's one thing about this museum is it is absolutely, everything about it is absolutely first class. They don't, and that's, you know, my parents walked around there and said, man, this thing is classy. Very classy. Um, now, I have kind of an artist's eye, and uh, with 
everything that I I've been involved with, some of my artwork, uh, my four wheelers, trailers, whatever, posters. Um, I have an eye for detail, and I appreciate it when I see that from other people. And you know, I had an expectation of what uh, this museum was going to be, and uh, it's easily uh, far greater than I ever imagined it in my mind. And I have to say, and you can probably agree with this, you form an image in your mind, and most of the time things don't live up to the hype. Well, not only did this live up to it, but it exceeded it. Awesome. It, it, and it, it like uh, like you were saying, like it it really it looks it classy. It, it really looks like a classy, real nice um, yeah, tribute to evil. A total tribute. But you know, here's the thing: uh, a lot of bikers out there they get a bad rap. You know, the whole biker thing. And you know, uh, what I was surprised with is over the, especially like the last ten years. There's a lot of bikers out there, and they wear, you know, they wear their leathers and all that, and have beards, you know, just to look at them. They think, oh, you know, that person, you know, he looks like he's kind of a rough character. And uh, you find out that these guys are businessmen, they're bankers. Uh, a lot of times, they're dentists, they're uh, a couple cases, doctors, lawyers. Um, they just like the biker lifestyle, they just have a love of motorcycles. And pretty much if you have a love of motorcycles, you inherently have a love of all things Knievel. And these guys are, uh, you know, they're late baby boomers or uh, early generation Xers. And, you know, Evil's what really was the sounding board for uh, all the generation X people. Uh, so... There's a nostalgia factor that uh, everybody, given the opportunity, would love to vividly relive their childhood, I think. Don't you? Totally. I mean, when we do all these things where we get to talk about evil in these shows, and um, it, it instantly uh, brings back uh, myself to being a child again and having the toys and seeing evil on worldwide sports, and it just brings me back to like a fun time in life. I couldn't agree more. Here's the thing. And that, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people that might think this is, uh, uh, I don't know, narcissism or ego driven that, you know, you and I have talked and do these evil can evil specials, but this is my thing. Uh, we have access. I have access to these people, uh, the crew members and family. And uh, it's not that I really think, oh, I need to indoctrinate myself into the Knievel myth and all that. Although, I mean, I pretty much have. Uh, let's, let's not bullshit each other. I'm known for jumping a four-wheeler. I'm, I, I have a certain amount of fame, credibility, whatever. I've put myself out there for that. But... There's that side. There's the daredevil side. I'm I'm a daredevil. But there's also the side that I got into this when I was four years old. And I have never 
forgotten what that felt like to be a kid watching this guy that I, you know, to me, he was cooler than Superman because he was real. And, um, of course, you know, later on after he retired, Robbie filled those shoes. And, you know, there's a, a lot gets made that, you know, Robbie can never fill his dad's shoes. He doesn't have to fill his shadow, walk, walk in his shoes. He doesn't have to do that. He is Robbie Knievel all on his own. He's a legend in his own right. And uh, I'm thankful that I've got to become friendly with both of them. And, uh, you know, you and I have become friendly, you know, doing these shows we've met. And uh, I just think this is an awesome way to record uh, some of the things I've gone through. And, you know, uh, if you can't make it, then you can live vicariously through it through me. And uh, certainly... Uh, enjoy doing that for everybody, and I, I get a lot of email, a lot of comments about uh, how much fun this is. Uh, people listening to this, so uh, I enjoy doing it, and I hope we do a lot more of them. Oh, we will, we will, because uh, it, I mean, you being a daredevil, and you know, you like myself growing up, and for with the love of evil can evil. Um, you truly got to experience so much of this stuff. And if it wasn't for you uh, bringing me along for the ride, I never would have been able to do a tenth of these evil Knievel things. We've pulled it together and, you know, talking with his crew and uh, hearing these stories and even getting Robbie on the air to let us go around. And uh, it's just, it's been a hell of a friggin' ride. And uh, I look forward to doing these shows that, you know, when we don't. So, well, uh, one thing, side note to that, uh, most of these guys, including Robbie, have agreed to do more. And some people we haven't spoke with yet, um, they're, they've all agreed to do more. They, they think they're fun. They see what I'm doing. I think at first they might have been a little apprehensive. You know, some people get on here and, uh, you know, they're kind of kooky. Uh, and and they want to clown evil and uh, maybe his son and uh, yeah I have have nothing but an enormous amount of respect for all these people involved and I will you know Darren Harvey uh, one of the fellows from the UK he walked up to me and he he stuck his hand out he said there's one thing I really like about you he said there's no bullshit in you. He said, everything is either white or black, and you, you call it like you see it. He said, I enjoy that. And, you know, I mean, that's true. I got that from my, my, my parents. And uh, if I don't like you, I'll tell you. If I do, you absolutely know it. And, uh, you know, I don't put a slant on things. I call it like I see it. And, um, you know, uh, I can give a little bit of insight that – Probably a lot of people won't be able to have because I'm also a daredevil. I'm a fan, but I'm also a daredevil. So I've been there. I've done that. I know what that feels like, and I can describe it to everybody. So, um, you know, I hope they, everybody out there listening enjoys this. 
Now, you had mentioned um, a, a rundown of a lot of the people that were there. And I'm going to say one of the people that I was really excited to see there um, that that really kind of bummed me out again that I wasn't there was seeing John Hood there. Absolutely. This, this, this young guy bounces around like a teenager, and I'm not kidding. He's 87 years old. And that, there's a, you know, there's kind of an interesting story to this. Uh, I think we uh, dipped him in the fountain of youth because uh, it's my understanding. I don't know this for a fact, but I've heard uh, a little bit of the, the scuttle. Um, Lathan really had to twist John's arm to get him to come. He he lives in California, I believe, and right. You know, being being eighty seven years old, that's sure. Um, and I don't think he was really into it. And he's like, "Oh, I don't know, Lace and I." And and just finally, he uh, he made his mind up that yes, he was going to go one time. And uh, boy, he he showed up, and he was pretty much the. Uh, the center of a lot of things going around. Now, this guy is, man, I tell you what, if I live to be 87 and can get around like him and be as sharp as him, you know, he's sitting there at 87 years old working a smartphone like any teenager. Um, <laughs> he was. He really was. And uh, he's a smart, smart guy, friendly as can be, uh, and, uh, you know, very uh, welcoming and uh I, all the attention that was shown on him and the rest of the crew, uh, I think it moved him because now he has decided that uh, he's going to go back every year until it, he can't. Nice. Yes. That's, uh, and, you know, he's, uh, wow, the stories that come out of this guy. Him, I, I sat at a breakfast table a couple of days and listened. You know, I sit there with the crew and uh, Robbie one day and uh, just sit there and gather evil stories that we'll get into at some point, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, I was privileged to hear a lot of stuff that nobody gets to hear. And um, so they opened the... Uh, the uh, Museum, we go there. They have a, a, a kind of banquet-style deal, hors d'oeuvres. Um, and the thing I like most was free beer. And that was what Friday night they did. Like it looked like it was under a tent. I guess like yeah, in the parking lot. Yeah, it was Friday night, five thirty to eight thirty, I believe. And uh, while we were sitting there, you know, there was people. Uh, uh, they had a uh, uh, news crew there, and, um, you know, they had all these tables for all the VIPs, and we were under a tent, and, um, you know, a lot of these, uh, like, the crew members got introduced, and Robbie got introduced, and uh, Robbie's sister, and Evil's wife, Crystal, and uh, uh, Rundle, and, you know, all these people connected got introduced, and... Um, they were all given a little time. Uh, Lewis Ree, he's a jumper. Um, he's a uh, 
an announcer and, and definitely uh, Ham. Uh, he had a uh, mic and was uh, questioning all these people, and they threw out a couple short stories. And uh, it was all very interesting. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I think for a couple of these, uh, John Hood, uh, very emotional for him. Now, you're bringing up a lot of, uh, you know, at 87 years old, go back 40, 50 years, you know, he he's reliving a lot of stuff that was laid dormant for decades. And, uh, right. Especially, you know, he got the, he was one of the truck drivers and he's seen Big Red uh, at a premiere a while ago, last summer, I believe. But every time he got around that truck, he would just look at it and he got a little, got a little glassy eyed. And um, it was great to see, you know, I don't know, I've said this before, you know, I had a, my first car was a Mach 1 Mustang, and I've joked about that. Um, every time I see one or see a picture of that, it is, um, it's a time machine. That's exactly what that semi is for them. They're traveling back in time in their minds, but they can physically lay hands on this vehicle. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, that truck looks like a brand-new penny. And it is, it is exact. And, that, you know, people need to go online and check out, you know, just look up uh, Evil Knievel's uh, Semi or Evil Knievel's Big Red or something like that. And look at the process they had to go through to restore this thing. And it wasn't, you know, uh, a couple people that they had intentions of. Uh, I think the first guy that bought it, uh, Jeff, he uh, actually told me that he had a company trying to talk him into selling that to him. And they were going to chop it up and sell pieces of it on eBay. Whoa. Uh, which made me sick. And... uh now I went. I went online, man. I, I that's how me and Draper got talking with each other, because he asked me if I knew where it was, and I said, yeah. And uh, I was just really raising hell. I, I did not want it chopped up, and I didn't want the uh, El Cheapo Earl Scheib paint job on it. And another thing they were tossing around was they were going to do half of the truck the original way, red and white, and then they was going to do the other half like uh, Robbie had it. And I said, absolutely not. What do you think of that, Henry? Absolutely not. Don't do that. Don't do that. This thing is, right. listen, you're going to do a, a, a Adam West Batman outfit, half of it the way it's supposed to be, another half pink? What the fuck are we dealing with here? No, don't <laughs> do that. You, you know, usually in a lot of these cases, and some of these bikes that are in this museum, they are... Uh, untouched and you can see the age you can see the battle damage you can see the and, and uh, people that don't know would think oh wow this is all chipped up and the, you know it looks old let's restore it make it look brand new no you don't do that if you can help it 
you leave the patina on it. You leave the battle damage. That's where the value's at. And some of these bikes are, you know, uh, two hundred to three hundred fifty thousand dollars a piece. Right. And if you restored it, you would take it back to um, a twenty-eight thousand dollar Harley XR seven fifty. Right. So right. there you go. I mean, you just kill the value. Now with Big Red, you know, to do it right to give you the proper experience, there was no saving any patina. I mean, they kind of did. Uh, they got like the original doors and some of the sheet metal and that uh, on the wall, so you can see how bad it really was. But this thing is stunning, stunning. It looked like a brand new truck, and I mean, Lathan had to spend a lot on it, and that, you know he did it right. And he's the only person I know that have that much love. I mean, obviously, I said before. You know, if I won the lottery, that'd been exactly what I'd done. And you know, I said that to him, and he he kind of he, he kind of got pissed off at me. And he said, "You just don't understand what I went through to get this done." And I said, "No, no, dude, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, diminish anything you've done. I'm just saying, if I had the resources, I would have done it like this. But you actually did it, so it's easy to sit there and say, oh, I would do this and that.'" But he actually did it. And the, the group of people, you know, um, uh, the historic uh, Topeka Harley-Davidson, uh, the guy that runs that, Mike, um, all the all the people that work there, all of those, they took that on because they restored Harley-Davidson's. They never restored a semi before. And that got mentioned to them, and they all looked at each other and said, can we restore a semi? Yeah, we probably could, buddy. If they go out of business uh, working on Harley, they can definitely go into a semi-building business because that thing looks like brand new. Tell hey, you what, I, I, myself, um, I'll go out and speak for all of us, uh, like outside Evil Can Evil fans, and, and truly, you know, you can never thank a person like Lathan enough for really bringing all these things back to life and truly uh, bringing evil back to life and making his memory uh, live on with things like that, this that he's done. It's just, it's just truly amazing. I agree. Um, evil, later in his career, he kind of, I don't know, he kind of went off the rails a little bit. And that's, you know, that's, that's kind of unfortunate. I mean, he was a, you know, his nickname was Evil. Uh He's a bit of a hell raiser, and you know he's that uh, uh, that ornery kid up until the day he died. He's that ornery kid. Um, he kind of got where he believed his own image a little too much, I think. And then later on in life, he come full circle, and uh, he kind of got that you know he's just Bobby Knievel, and um, evil was a character he created. Now, I've said this before, you know, uh, there's a lot of people out there that say um, when he created Evil Knievel, Evil Knievel drug him straight down the path to hell. I disagree. I think Bobby Knievel was always this kid from Butte, Montana, that was ornery. He was always always plotting. He was always working things. 
You know, he robbed stores. I mean, this is a stuff of legend. I'm not making any of this up. He was always working an angle, and he had to. He had to hustle to get anything he wanted. He's a poor kid from Butte, Montana. He got the idea to jump a motorcycle, and he spun this and gave himself maybe the best name in show business ever, which is Evil Knievel. Just kind of flies off the tongue. Uh, and he created this image gradually. You know, if you see his first jumps, he's in the yellow and black, and then shortly after, you know, the, the red, white, and blue comes into because he he did not want to present himself as uh, the typical biker bad guy in the black leathers. He wanted to be the guy rolling around in the white hat on the you know Gene Autry. Uh, uh, and Roy Rogers were his idols, and they were the guys in the white hat on the horses. And if you Caesar's Palace, he had a blue helmet on, and apparently he got superstitious about it because after that he only wore white helmets, and he always wanted to be perceived as a guy in a white hat. That was Evil Knievel. Now, when the lights went off, Bobby Knievel came back, and the partying and the woman chasing and all that. I got to say, as a kid, I never cared about any of that. I, I mean, I knew I heard you know, that stuff went on with him. I didn't care. You know, that as his personal business, who who am I to judge somebody? I've done that myself, and uh, I would hate somebody to crawl up my ass with a microscope and dissect every little thing I did. But you know, as an evil Knievel, he always preached the good message. You know, love your family, do the right thing, keep your word, say your prayers, that whole deal. Um, keep your word. You fall down, get back up. And I listened to that. And not only did I listen to it, it formed who I became. And that that whole pit bull thing, the whole pit bull nickname. It came about because there's just no quitting me. Uh, I've whether it's competition or uh, actual, you know, somebody messing with me, I don't care how big you are. You'll you'll feel like you got in a tussle with a pit bull when I'm done. Um, but that's because I believed all of the stuff this guy preached for years. It imprinted on me. So I always joked around that I, I perhaps, and you know, I'm not the only one. There's a generation of guys out there that went and risked their life, you know, uh, Pastrana, Doug Danger, Robbie. Uh, you know, there's you know, there's dozens of us. But we all believe this, and we're all more probably evil Knievel than evil Knievel was, just because he preached that and we had open ears, and. Uh, you know, he's probably third in line. My parents are the biggest influences on me. They're my biggest heroes. But he's definitely third. And when I met him and talked to him, I told him exactly that. And uh, he was visibly moved by that. I said, I, I know you really don't know who I am, but I know you. And uh, you've been a member of my family for years. And we, you know, after I met him, we remained friends. Uh, Kelly Knievel sent me an email saying he's going through his dad's stuff. And out of the 
decades of Stuntman giving him um, kits and pictures and letters and notes and all that, I was the only one that he kept anything from. How cool is that? That's super cool. That's an honor. I was very honored, very touched. Um, so, you know, I mean, this, the waters of all this history run pretty deep. And uh, it was important for me that even the casual, you know, you like motorcycles or you, you know, you're too young, you don't know what a evil Knievel was. It was important for me that a museum done in his honor be done correctly. And I got to tell you, man, this thing will blow your mind. First class, the whole way through. You mentioned uh, Kelly. He he did not attend, correct? Uh, Kelly did not attend, and uh, Alicia, the youngest of Evil's daughters, did not attend. Uh, I don't. I never heard why. Maybe just. Wrapped up another stuff. I don't know. Um, Robbie and Tracy were there for the whole two days. Uh, got to meet Tracy. She's a she's a sweetheart. Um, very classy lady. Um, and you know the other thing. And I I spent two and a half days with Robbie Knievel almost nonstop. We sat and talked and. Uh, Robbie is um, Robbie is a very, very good guy. He's a sweet man. Um, I think he's often misunderstood. Uh, he has, as we've talked about in the, you know the the Robbie Knievel special, Chasing Evil. He's got some things he is working on, trying to sort out between him and his dad, and he actually mentioned uh, that he was going to do a puppet show with a puppet of his father. Well, I've seen that. And um, I think uh, my first impression, I'm being very honest, and I hope it doesn't piss him off, my first impression was this is probably beneath him. But after watching it a little bit, um, it's apparent that this is a kind of therapy for him. He appears to be saying stuff to his dad that he couldn't say. Right. And his dad, is, his dad is answering him through this puppet. Now, I think the puppet needs to be refined a little bit and you get a little bit better quality puppet. I think Robbie uh, has the ability he could go and do this. I was totally against it at first, but it actually kind of, it kind of, I kind of warmed up to it a little bit. Um, he's actually, you know, he, he's got his own brand of humor, but uh, you know, if he refines it a little bit, uh, he might have something there. Um. But it is apparent that, you know, he is desperately trying to uh, work out some stuff with him and his dad. And, you know, this is the only way he's going to get it done because his dad's gone. Um, 
can he make it successful? Uh, I have no idea. But um, I actually kind of warmed up to it a little bit. I dead set against it, but now, he, you know, eh, he just needs to practice it a little bit. And, you know, he knows how to do that. So I wish him all the best with it. I'll tell you what, um, you know, when he first brought up the whole puppet thing to us when we did the Chasing Evil special, uh, both you and myself talked the next day, and we both were on the exact same page with that, uh, with our feelings. And we, I mean, everything you just said is exactly what we were saying and, and our thoughts. And as I was going through, um, like I was saying, uh, of the weekend of the pictures and all, and I was looking at the pictures of Robbie. A, he looked very happy to be there. Um, B, I was wondering, how was it for him? Uh, do you know if he mentioned or talked to it about it? Was it an emotional thing for him? Because uh, of just that, the relationship that him and his dad had, um, that was something that he truly was a part of all of his life. So he really got to live and witness a lot of these things. And uh, I was just wondering if, if he let on to anybody, or even I saw he did a speech on Friday night, if uh, he was emotionally moved by this whole thing. I think the whole weekend was very emotional for him. Um, you know, just in our private talks, and we talked several, several hours. Um, it's very apparent that the, I don't know what you want to say, the, the shadow, the ghost, the, the image of his father is in every minute, every day, of his life, uh, right. he rarely goes without. You know, he rarely says a paragraph without putting his dad in there, and I think that's a double-edged sword for him. I mean, I, I, I obviously he likes being a celebrity. He likes being recognized for all this stuff. He also feels, in my opinion, this is just my opinion. I could be wrong, but I think he also feels like. Uh, He's constantly got to compare himself, or he's constantly being compared with his father. And that's, you know, I, I actually said something to him. I said, you know, I said, in, in my opinion, I, I, I think you need to just um, realize that um, you're every bit what your dad was, and maybe a little bit more. So he made a little bit more money than you. So, you know, he might be a bigger name than you, but, you know, evil is not, was not, could not be a jumper. Robbie is. Robbie is, uh, even now, you know, he walks around with a back brace and kind of everything about him is a little crooked. He's paid his dues. And, uh, sure. he's, even now, still doesn't get the credit he deserves. And I told him, I said, dude, you are certainly worthy of having a museum all by yourself of this caliber. And he looked at me and smiled, and he said, I appreciate that. He said, I think that's a goal of mine. I want to have a museum similar to this in Las Vegas. So maybe uh, that will get done one day. Hopefully done soon enough he can see it and appreciate it because I you know even you know we were in um in the lounge in the hotel uh Friday night 
and uh, a couple guys come up and um, they asked, uh, "Are you Robbie Knievel?" And he said, "Yeah." And uh, they went straight to his dad. Oh, I loved Evil Knievel as a kid. Oh, Evil Knievel this, Evil Knievel that, Evil, 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 Evil. And they didn't mention him. Wow. And he, he just, I, I was watching. He, he, he just, you know, he just took it all in. But it was evil, evil, evil. You know, I mean, he was on Fox. I mean, how many Fox specials did he do? He did a bunch of them that were just as good as anything he ever did on Wild World of Sports. Most cases, better. I mean, I've never seen Evil Knievel jumping uh, from one rooftop to another. This is not a bash on Evil. This is just, you know, Robbie was that good. Um, he jumped an uh, 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 oncoming train. He did the 30 limo jump, which I watched live. Uh, I watched live with Evil. And, you know, it goes back to that. I'm helping wheel him out. He had a hip replacement. We go out to the arena, and, you know, um, my sister had passed a week before that. And so Evil was kind enough. He was talking to me a little bit about that right before we got out. And he said, he said, now, here's the thing. He said, Robbie kind of shoots himself in the foot. He said, I'm going to show you why. We walked out into that arena. He was sitting in a wheelchair. But as soon as everybody seen him, the crowd went ape shit. Sure. They were in the presence of the gladiator. Mm -hmm. But then, ten minutes later, his son comes out and does a jump that his dad could never do. And he doesn't get the buzz that Evil got. Now, Evil was probably one of the best salesmen in history. He knew how to promote. He knew how to work it. Uh, Robbie was on... He's been on his own since he was a teenager. And he he had his dad's personality. And he decided to go his own way and do his own thing. Is that good? Is that bad? I think that's for him to say. Uh, I just think uh, in a lot of issues he could have, instead of feeling competitive with his dad, he could have sit back and and, and learned a little bit more how to how to use that for his own benefit. Because uh, he's definitely worthy of uh, uh, a museum on his own. He's worthy of documentaries. He's worthy of movies. And if they ever make a movie about Robin Knievel, I wish they'd hurry the hell up. Because I'll absolutely claim. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so, all right. So, so the museum itself, uh, like, now how did that work? Were you able to get in there <coughs> Friday night, or was it like an all-day Saturday thing? Or we got we got in uh, about nine o'clock. All the speakers wrapped up, and they opened the museum up and let us go in there for about an hour and a half. And uh, we walked through, and uh, I think if you look on my Facebook page, you have to dig around a little bit maybe. Uh, I did a Facebook Live that was an hour and five minutes long, and I basically oh, really? give you the, yeah, I give you the 25-cent tour. 
we didn't show you everything, but actually got to uh, interview and um, get comments from uh, a lot of jumpers, a lot of the crew people, um, and the owners, Lathan and Mike, and uh, I think Robbie Hall might have got in there. Um, I got their their comments as you know it was just open for the yeah it was been open for the public kind of I think they had like 25 people go through it before you know Friday night but um, this was the first you know official uh, gathering of a lot of people going through there and uh, I asked different people what they thought and you now I intentionally got uh, a cross section of people you know. Uh, little old ladies and um, women in their 30s and 20s and asked ask them, you know, and they were just all, not one negative thing. There was not one negative thing. Um, and if you look at the reviews, uh, they're all five stars. And it's very deserved because uh, I have, I've seen a couple of museums this caliber, but they were uh, far more financed and, you know, they had professional people come and lay this museum out. And it's my understanding that these these guys did it all in-house. They just studied how other museums were, and they copied that. And uh, they put their own spin on some things. So uh, let me see if I can give you uh, verbally the 25-cent tour. You walk in, you walk past the ticket count. Right, how, how Henry, how about we do this? Cause I, let's take a quick commercial break so I can okay. do that and then come back and then we'll take the 25 cent tour because I, I this way we don't have to take no breaks later in the show. We can bang that out. Yep. Cool. All right. Everybody stay tuned. Give me three minutes. Let me pay the bills. Uh, I want to come back on the flip side and we're going to get the grand tour through the eyes of Henry Reif of the Evil Knievel Museum. Stay tuned. Attention business owners, website owners, event promoters, or anyone looking to promote your product. The Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network is the perfect way to spread the word of your business around the world. That's right. You can advertise at our network and be played on all of our shows at rates that are so cheap. It's a no-brainer. For more information, contact Bay Ragney at bayragney at gmail.com. To keep your business driven, stay driven with Totally Driven Entertainment. Are you a fan of Sherlock Holmes? Letters from Holmes offers unique, one-of-a-kind letters from the world-famous detective himself. Handwritten on 8.5-inch by 11-inch aged parchment paper and using smudge-free ink to produce original, high-quality letters that fans will treasure for years to come. Each letter is handcrafted and written from the perspective of Sherlock Holmes, mimicking Holmes's native tongue and embracing many of the famous detective's quirks, quips, insults and peculiarities. Order a love letter, birthday greeting, personal correspondence, or more only at www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash letters from homes. For $5 today, you can buy a wealth of things. Gas for your car, rent a movie for the family, a few slices of pizza. $5 still takes you a long ways. But did you know that $5 can buy your child a bag of heroin in the streets? That's right. For only $5, your son or daughter can buy some of the cheapest and purest dope in the country. Be aware of the lies. Be aware of the stealing. Be aware that's all it takes to kill your child. $5. This message was brought to you by Casey's Cause, a group of parents located in southern Chester County out to save your child's life. 
come join us today at www.caseyscause.com. And remember, $5 is all it takes. Casey's Cause, www.caseyscause.com. Looking for that perfect gift for your girlfriend? Then look no further than Teddy Scares. Teddy Scares are available in a variety of styles, sizes, and prices for all your shopping needs. Teddy Scares are a mix of cute and creepy to make a great gift for almost any age. Board up your windows, lock your doors, and log on to teddyscares.com. And be sure to become our friends at facebook.com slash teddyscares. Calling all comic book fans. Do you collect comics? Did you ever collect comics? Do you think your children might like reading comic books? Do you even know they still print real, paper, non-digital comic books? Well, then visit the Pirates of Ontario Street Comics in Philadelphia. We have a massive collection of comic books, action figures, trading cards, and much more. We have one of the largest stocks of back-issue comics in the area. We bag and board every new comic book at no extra charge. Our stores voted the best comic book shop in the 2013 PHL 17 Hot List Contest. Part of the movie Unbreakable is filmed in our store. We are open seven days a week. Ontario Street Comics is located at 2235 East Ontario Street in the Port Richmond section of Philly. Our phone number is 215-288-7338. Type in the words Ontario Comics Philadelphia to check out our Wacky Stores page on Facebook. This is Guinness Book of World Record holder, motorcycle jumper Doug Danger, and you're listening to Totally Driven Radio. All right, welcome back. It's Tell Your Radio. I'm here with Henry Reif, and we're doing the Evil Knievel Museum Grand Opening Recap. And uh, let's let's get into the full. Henry's going to give us his uh, his take through his eyes of the actual tour of the museum. So take it away, Henry. Okay, we'll see how good my memory is. I'm not looking at any pictures, so I'm just busily going through this in my mind. Um, as you walk into the main entrance, you see a statue of evil standing there. This is a statue that, um, not real clear on the history of it. it. It was definitely at King's Island for a while. Evil took it around on tour with him. Um, but that's there. Uh, if you you know you look on my Facebook page, you can see pictures of all this stuff. Um, so you, the ticket counter's right there, some uh, very nice people working there, very knowledgeable. They'll help you with anything you you need. You walk down a um, long hall, and you make a sharp right turn. As you make that sharp right turn, you see uh, the beginning of Evil's career. Uh, some pictures of when he was a little ornery-ass little kid which, by all accounts, he was a very honored kid. <laughs> uh, you just uh, you keep walking straight, and you will uh, see, uh, I believe it's a Honda uh, 350. That's what he started out on. Uh, there's a display of a It's a reenactment of a picture of evil uh, riding a wheelie, and um, that's there. It's pretty cool to see that vintage bike and that reenactment. Um, as you walk a little further down, you start getting into the, uh, I don't think they had a Norton. You know, that was uh, shown on uh, Wild World Sports' first uh, national televised jump 
uh, back then he was in the yellow and black, and uh, I believe he was jumping with Red Norton. I'm sure that'll appear at some point. Uh, but then at the end of the hall, uh, there is a Triumph 650 Bonneville, and uh, the leathers and um, and with all these things, you get uh, tons of pictures, and um, uh, when available, you have uh, TV screens that let you see the actual jump, you know, concerning the display. So they show Caesars over and over and over, and of course, that was the real accident that launched him, and... Uh, now, if he would have made that jump, he would have probably never been the iconic person he became. But since he had Great. such a horrendous <laughs> crash, uh, that created a lot of buzz. And you know, uh, uh, John Derrick and his uh, his uh, wife uh, got footage of that. Got, uh, who knows how many times that thing's been viewed. Um, but that's sitting there, and I, I believe that's not the jump bike, but I believe it's the wheelie bike. So it's uh, it's, a, it's a real one, I believe. I could be wrong. Um, so then you, you, you keep on, uh, and you see the uh, over to your right, uh, you see a uh, American Eagle, which is the real deal. Um, this thing was not taken very good care of. It uh, was really rotted out. I, again, just blown away that you know these evil can evil motorcycles in this truck and even the rocket uh, just got neglected like it was nothing. You know, back then they just treated it like it was no big deal. Um, oh. But Lathan tracked this bike down and again. It's completely restored because it was such bad shape. There, there was no patina. It was just wasted. So now it's like a brand new bike, and it's all you know painted correctly. Uh, has uh, a set of leathers that he wore, um, sitting there with it. And um, interesting note about that bike was uh, he jumped that thing uh, 13 times. And landed it successfully six. Oof. So in like a thirteen or fourteen month period, he, he he crashed that thing seven times. And I've always said, you know, he crashed a lot. That, that really was the worst bike he ever had. It was a it was a it was a five hundred pound bike, and yeah. uh, it was a flying turd. It looked good, <laughs> but boy, it it that. that that was something that was not meant to fly. Uh, so this was, uh, now Caesars was like the 66 to early 69 or late 68 period. After the Caesars period with the uh, Triumph, went to the American Eagle for about uh, uh, 13, 14 months. And early, and I know there's some pictures out there, this was when George Hamilton was getting ready to do the Evil Knievel movie. Okay. There's actually pictures of George in the 
the rebel flag looking evil Knievel leathers, you know, the X on it. Right. Um, they're very rare, but I've seen a couple. Uh, and he's sitting on the American Eagle. Well, that was never shown in the movie. That was uh, that was uh, uh, discarded, and Evil entered into the Harley Davidson era, which you know became iconic association together, Harley and Evil Knievel. So um, the first uh, Ironhead uh, XR, which is pretty rare. I'll tell you a little tidbit about uh, the George Hamilton movie. I don't know if you know this or not, but you know the movie, the bike they used in that movie? That was the XR Ironhead number one. That was the very first XR made. Oh, wow. And that's that wasn't Evil's bike. That was the movie bike. And it stayed on a mantle in a guy's bar for years. And a couple of years ago, that bar burnt down and that bike burnt down. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Oh. And uh, Lathan acquired it, and it's undergoing restoration. <clears throat> so they saved it, but that was actually XR number one. So, I mean, it's worth a lot in its own right. But if I say, yeah. that movie ups the price even more. So, trivia you might not have known. Um, then you, um, I believe you go to... Uh, another display with an XR, which is um, the L.A. Coliseum, and that uh, is sporting a tank that was a wild child paint job. Uh, painter went by wild child. He did that. Uh, it's uh, kind of a hint of things to come. It's a, a blue tank, red lettering, and uh, red stripes, and around the uh, top of the gas tank, it's, it's inscribed... Uh, Color Me Lucky, which was a, a saying Ethan, Evil went uh, went by his whole career. Um, that was a hint at what was to come with uh, the Sadlack stuff. Uh, he was he had Wild Child do a couple of tanks for him, and then uh, he moved on to uh, George Sadlack, which, um, let's see... Uh, what we have after that, uh, I believe uh, after that was uh, my personal favorite uh, was the uh, Evil Knievel XR750 Wembley jump bike, finally back together and complete, which was great because that was the tank and fender I found for Lathan, uh, and he was... Uh, determined enough to get a hold of it, and he got it. Uh, that's my personal favorite because uh, I have uh, vivid memories of that crash, and that's, that's the first time I've ever seen evil crash in real time, and uh, it upset me. And then my mom and dad took me to Dairy Queen and made everything better. Um, <laughs> then we went to um, the Harley uh, Harley Davidson another display that was the King's Island bike. Now, if I'm right, I think this is a replica because I think that King's Island bike is in the Smithsonian unless they got it. I don't I think it's in the Smithsonian on uh, on loan. Um 
you go past that, and uh, there's a display of uh, mail that uh, kids wrote, and they didn't know where Evil lived. They didn't have his address, so they just put it in the mailbox, and it said Evil Knievel, and it went to Butte, Montana, just like Santa Claus goes to the North Pole. That's a sign that you're okay. pretty much a big deal if people just put your name on it and they know where to send it. And there's That's a wild. lot of fan mail that never got read until now, and they have them on display, and I, I, I think they're going to rotate those. But it's pretty neat. You know, uh, could you come and eat dinner with me and my mom? And, you know, stuff like that is pretty sweet. Um, so then uh, I believe there's a timeline on the wall of uh, all of uh, Evil's jumps. Uh, these walls are covered with uh, little interesting tidbits of information and uh, pictures you don't see in a lot of the, you know, uh, haven't been seen in years. Uh, Lathan has very extensive archives, and it's my understanding they're going to rotate this stuff so none of these displays will get stale. They're going to change them around. Uh, even talked about maybe one day having a pit bull display there. That'd be cool. <laughs> so, and and I, you go back. I forgot this. You go back to the actually the first turn, and what you see to the right of you is the back of Big Red, and it has curtains all around. All you see is the, the back doors, and I just seen that and got all giddy. So we jump up to where the timeline is, and uh, there it is, sitting in all its glory, is uh, the big red um, truck uh, in its place of honor. Uh, It is beautiful. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you, I I got all emotional about it. Um, the little kid in me was just going ape shit. And then, uh, let's see, further down uh, the hallway is a, uh, a little film room where they show the whole Big Red uh, documentary on the what they went through to restore this thing. And then you uh, actually come out in front of the big red truck, and you can you can walk all around it and see that it's. I mean, it's, it looks like brand new. It looks like it doesn't have any miles on it. Um, and then there's a there's a you know all through these halls again. There's just loaded with pictures and little mini displays, and um, uh, there's a media uh, hallway that's uh, like all the newspaper clippings. It's like wallpaper. Uh, then there's a, uh, uh, I believe there's a makeshift ramp with a little kid on a bicycle, which is how I got my start in the daredevil business at four years old. Uh, there is a uh, set of steps, and as you walk up the, the steps, there's a parachute and uh, a bike that is also sporting the wild child paint job um, in a, set of evil uh, 
you know, there's an evil, um, I don't want to say dummy. <laughs> I don't want to say that, but there's a mannequin with evil leather there you go. riding this bike. Uh, so you, you walk up the steps, and then you have, um, uh, let's see, the first thing you run into, uh, oh, yeah, you have a, a full-blown mannequin dressed in the uh, Sports Illustrated leathers. Uh you know the remember the he was on the cover of the Sports yeah. Illustrated and that was a big deal because a lot of people really hadn't heard of him until the Snake River Canyon hype and uh, he got on the cover of Sports Illustrated just a few weeks before he did the jump and that Sports Illustrated cover is like a cursed thing athletes that get on it get hurt well this was no different he failed his jump uh, and then pretty much. Is the Holy Grail display? You have uh, a series of canes, uh, and of course you have the uh, sixty thousand dollar Wembley Stadium helmet, complete with uh, crash damage. And then the crowning part of it all is the Caesar's Palace helmet, which is looks like a grenade got dropped on it. Um, there's a theater in the back that you can walk in and watch uh, uh, Evil's appearance on uh, The Bionic Woman, the Evil Knievel George Hamilton movie, I think the George Eads movie, uh, I think uh, Evil Knievel, pretty much any feature stuff that Evil was in, uh, you can watch in there if you're willing to sit there long enough. Right. In the very back of the uh, the museum is uh, the, uh, the 1977 J.C. Agajanian slash Evil Knievel uh, Indy car that they sponsored at uh, Gary Bentonhausen Drove. I think he finished 16th. Um, and right beside that is a 74 Cadillac uh, pickup. It kind of looks like uh, El Camino, but it's a Cadillac. And uh, Evil hauled his bikes around when he didn't want to take Big Red somewhere. He hauled it around with that. Um, then there's an a interactive center there. Uh, it's all digital, and you can touch a different part of Evil's body or bone he broke, and it'll show a little clip of him crashing and when he did it and explain what all happened and how intense his uh, injuries were. Uh Walking a little further down this wall, uh, there's a display that's a bunch of posters and a bunch of, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, I don't know what you call them, playbills, stuff like that. Uh, you know, repairing the night, evil can evil, stuff like that. Uh, the little cheap posters and some of the more expensive stuff. And then uh, on the opposite wall is a big, huge display of all the merchandise evil had in his career. Uh, obviously, the pinball machine, the uh, stunt cycles, you know, uh, lunch boxes, anything. Evil had his name on a lot of stuff, and it's all there, so you can check it out. Um, and then there is a, which is pretty cool, uh, they have actual set of a piece of Evil's original ramp that you can walk on and sit on top of a uh, 
uh, XR750 and put on a set of VR goggles and earphones, and you can do a uh, virtual reality, Doug Danger, Evil Knievel jump on an XR750. Doug did it last year in Topeka, and uh, give you an idea what it's like to jump an XR750. Uh, my mom actually did it and loved it. Um, yeah, I was going to say, you're, you, you did video of your mom doing it, um, which yeah. was awesome. Did you do it? You know, I didn't. I, you know, people said, oh, you should get in there. I, I did want to do it, but it was like an hour-long wait. You know, in the museum, there was a lot of people there. Uh, I think I got a pretty good idea of what it's like to jump, so I, I, I let somebody else enjoy it. I'll, I'll do it at some point. Um, then there's, you know, pictures and little doodads. On the wall, uh, uh, Doug Danger's helmets, uh, uh, some um, comparisons of shocks and stuff like that, give you an idea what it's like to jump an XR. And then in the very back is um, a steam tank, uh, what they use as the so-called rocket engine. Uh, it's basically a steam tank. You, you get it up to a certain amount of pressure and... Um, had a nozzle on the end of it, and you open it up, and you went from zero to like 350, 400 mile an hour in like two and a half seconds, and hopefully clear a canyon, which Eddie Braun did last year successfully, finally. Right. Um, and also they have a display of, I don't know if you know this or not, but there was three uh, rockets made for the Snake River Jump. There was the uh, Mawiki X1, which was uh, a little different design. It had e uh, evil uh, kind of straddling it like a motorcycle. So, And he was like face down, kind of like a crotch rocket, and they put a canopy over him. That was the idea, but um, when they put a, a parachute on evil's back, they couldn't close the canopy. So. Gotcha. That pretty much doomed the X-1. They fired that thing off intentionally half full to scare everybody to uh, think he's not going to make it. And uh, that thing went right into the bottom of the canyon and destroyed it. Uh, apparently, it still exists somewhere. I know Latham's looking for it. Um, and then you had the two X-2 cycles, the A and the B. The X2A is the one that was on display there. Um, there was a fellow that acquired this thing, and there's, you know, a whole story about that. We can get into it some other time. Remind me, and we'll talk about it. But um, this sky cycle set for years in Canada at a, a, a little Chotsky museum. It had some evil Knievel artifacts in there. Um, not the one Evil rode in, and the guy in Canada swore it was. And you know, it doesn't take you very long to figure out it is because it's not painted exactly right. It's close, but it's not exactly right. Right. Um, but it is, it is the real X2A version. Then the X2B version, I believe Kelly still has, and I heard. 
I hope this isn't true, but I heard, you know, because when Evil hit, he damaged the front end. I heard mm-hmm. that Kelly's restoring that rocket. And we talked about this with other things. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to restore that. You're killing the value of it. Sure. I mean, it's his property can do with it what he wants, but uh think you would want to leave the battle damage on there. Um so I believe he has the actual rocket evil evil jumped in. There's a the cool thing about it is it's sitting on an actual part of the original uh you know, it was like some scaffolding type deal uh that the rocket rode up and launched off of. There's that original piece of that there sitting on top of a bunch of dirt from the launch area. So it's on the actual ground that it launched on. Um, and that pretty much takes you through the whole museum. I mean, it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but, I mean, you could literally spend 10, 12 hours, two days, three days in there. Uh, it was a uh, very interesting. I mean, first class the whole way. All the exhibits are uh, really something to behold. Uh, definitely worth the 20 bucks to get in and check it out. Uh, I will say this in closing, talking about the, the actual museum part. Um, if you're going to go, you need to go see this. It's something special. Those guys outdid themselves, and uh, hopefully next year they're going to do a little bit bigger bigger version of the festival. And uh, I think uh, if I have my way, we're going to be jumping there. And I, uh, it's my understanding that they're, they're into the idea of not only me, but several of the other old-school jumpers going there and performing. So let, let's hope that stays uh uh, one of the ideas they have for next year. Well, you know, uh, actually, we got a couple callers on the line, and I think I know um, who one of them is. And uh, I, I thought the second one was somebody else, but let's get the first one on here, and I think I'm going to take a guess. Is this Mike Draper? Yes, it is. Hey, it one of them brain fogs, and you forget about it's Eastern Daylight Time to click on instead of my time, right? you know, Midwest. So <laughs> sorry, I'm late. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's quite all right. You know what? I, I got somebody else on here too. Let's let's see who this is. Have them join the party too. Uh, okay. Who's this they're out there in Vegas? This is Chemo. Chemo, hey, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> how you doing, Henry? How you doing, Mike? I'm good. Good. Good time. Cool. So uh, both of you guys were out there this past weekend, and uh, I, I would love to hear both from both of you. But um, uh, let me go to Mike first. Mike, uh, what did you think? Was uh, I, I don't know if you heard like referring to like Robbie, like seeing Robbie go through this, and um, it was kind of like reliving uh, parts of life. Uh, it had to be a, a little emotional at times for you too to like see all this stuff now back in front of your face. Well, back in front of like I said, back in front of your face, that uh, things that you've kind of forgotten about, and you thought, "Wow, you know, they captured that." And uh, uh, you know, it's neat to see all the things that uh, you just took for granted that day that you were putting stuff together and doing things. And uh, 
going on, and then all of a sudden this just comes back, and it's actually uh, etched in stone now, and, and it, uh, get all the memories back, and then all of the people that you didn't even know that was possibly there at the time uh, uh, when Mike Patterson with Historic Carla Davidson told me about being in the stands the Hutchison State Fair, he was six years old. Um, wow. So it, it just it just come back a lot of people and saying when they come back and say that they had something it was I was there and doing this. It's not kinda like Woodstock, you know, so were you there? You know, oh yeah, I was about third row back, you know, and they'd <laughs> never know that you were there, but they would uh people would tell us that they were there. Uh, at different ones and what happened and put it all together and like I say and actually have uh video or photographic evidence and stuff of uh things that happened but yeah it was pretty emotional at time you know and also meeting uh all the evils family again tracy and and uh robbie and uh got to put uh got to meet uh henry out there and then um lee all the truck drivers and stuff uh john hood was just was great i mean we just we hit it right off and John's got lots of memories because he was the only one that actually got to go to Wembley and right. all that responsibility fell on his shoulders. So, yeah. so he had, he had lots to talk about. It was kind of like a big family reunion it was for you guys. Uh, yes, it was. Uh, it was uh, lots of people that we could uh, relate to and, uh, like I say, had different stories and memories of things that come along. So it hit home on a lot of things. And uh, Henry was right. You could spend lots of time in this going through and and looking at the videos and reading the mail uh, that has come from fans. They they have a big box there that uh, has different letters. I mean, they don't have all of them, but they have a lot of them that's posted that, uh, you know, the, the experience that they had and stuff. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that went through there, had some little emotional times, too, that could go back and remember what happened. And uh, it's just... It's just uh, something that's probably never going to happen again. I mean, uh, that many people all together at the same time. and uh, Right. Uh, people coming from Hawaii and uh, uh, the U.K. and that stuff, that was uh, quite a trip for them. So you know there's something they come away from the experience with that, that it had to be something pretty great. It looked like an amazing, amazing time. I, I, I am so <laughs> I'm so upset I wasn't there. Now, uh, chemo. Now you're you're new yeah. you're new to me at least uh, with the whole uh, evil chemo world. Uh, I, I, big fan or what's your connection? No, a big huge fan. A big huge fan all the way from Hawaii, and uh, now I live in Vegas. And um, attending uh, attending the grand opening was was astounding. That everything everyone is saying is a thousand percent true. And um, Again, to meet, I met Mike Draper two years ago over at Evil Days in Butte, and got to hang out with uh, with Mike and Henry, you know, at the hotel. And I tell you, a very both of them, very very uh, true gentlemen. And um, I, I had to, I I dummied up just because I wanted to hear these stories, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it was great stories. We were sitting, I was sitting across uh, uh, Mike when we were having uh, dinner the the following night. And hearing the stories about uh, the plane, you know, and uh, and how evil wanted uh, the E and K to um, to be seen, uh, in, you know, uh, on the plane, and how you know how he wanted it redone. I mean, 
and things like that. And Henry, I tell you, Henry, um, his stories of what he, you know, from David Letterman and other John Williams, and what I did, was sitting there listening and all. I mean, and uh, Henry's a top, you know, a top-notch guy too. And, uh, did he tell you a story? He gave his helmet to this boy Ethan from the UK who was there with his dad. Um, and Henry's a top-notch guy too, man. So um, yeah, you, you know, I'm, I want to ask Henry about that. I, I had seen the picture of the of the boy sitting there with the helmet, and I was blown away by that. How did that happen? Yeah. What class act? How how'd that happen, Henry? Well, like I've known his father Darren for uh, a few years, talking on Facebook, and never got to meet him. And uh, he told me that uh, both he and his son were going to make it to the um, to the event. And uh, his son is named Ethan, and I have uh, my own Ethan, and. Uh, I've spoken with his boy a few times, and, I, you know, I, I just, man, I love kids. I, I, I love the fans, but those those kids are, are, you know, I've never forgot what it's like to be one when Evil was around, and I just thought, I'm going to do something special for him. So uh, I asked his dad if it would be too much for them to lug back to, London, which, by the way, I just got a text message from Ethan. Said they just now got home. 30-hour trip. Wow. That's pretty brutal. Um, But uh, his dad said, no, you don't have to do that. I said, well, you know, if it's too much for you to take home. He said, no, it's not that. It's just too much of a gift. I said, no, it's not. Um, I said, if you're okay with it, I'll bring it. And he said, oh, absolutely. He said, I won't tell him. So we showed up uh, Friday night after all this stuff was done. We were in the lounge talking and having a couple beers and whatnot. And uh, Ethan's standing there talking to me, and I went. I walked out real quick and got some posters. Because all of these guys, you know, you don't know who you're going to see and have personal contact with again. So it wasn't, uh, and I sure hope nobody took it as a, you know, cockiness or hubris or anything that uh, I got to uh, pull these posters out and autograph them and gave them to all these people. But I want to make sure they had something. Uh, and I brought this helmet, and Ethan's looking at me, and he said, uh, what's that? I said, oh, I thought I'd show you one of my helmets. Oh, okay. And he's got the best accent. Okay, Henry, let me see it. And uh, so I took the helmet bag off, and I whipped out a um, a Sharpie, and I started writing on it. He said, what are you doing there? I said, well, I'm autographing it. I said, this is yours. And he was touched, you know, so much that he walked over and hugged me. And, uh, you know, that's what that's about, you know. His dad said, and I I bet they thanked me a hundred times for for giving it to him, which, you know, I just told him, you know, uh, I have a hundred of these things sitting in my uh, my garage, and you know they've served their purpose with me. So why not give them to people and let them, you know, treasure it for years in their in their home and have a conversation piece. And you know, I said last night that uh, long after I'm gone, there's going to be a piece of me sitting in England that. This little boy that'll grow into a man 
we'll talk about for years. Yeah. You, you know, and that's what that's all about. So I'm I'm glad he liked it so much. See a class act. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kimo is a class act too. He's a, he's an actor and a and a stuntman in his own right. And uh, I've seen uh, we're we're new friends. I I've seen that uh, he, he he took Darren and Ethan around Las Vegas, showed them around Las Vegas, and I thought you know that, that's a pretty classy move and seems like a real nice guy. So I asked him to add me on Facebook, and uh, we met there. And that is a super nice guy. And uh, yeah, I, I hope to do more events and uh, maybe maybe we'll do some film work together. Yeah, maybe we'll get a jump going in Hawaii. You, Doug Painter, hey. and that'd be that cool to get something stop. going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> now, how about um, uh, Kimo? What was uh, what was your favorite part of the whole? Uh, Museum. Uh, fair part of the museum. Gosh, there's so much to name. There's, uh, you know, you're, it. I went through that thing so many times, and taking in everything, and you just couldn't all take it in. And uh, seeing that a friend of mine, uh, a friend of ours, Bob Cook, a lot of the things were once in his possession that were there in the um, right. museum. You know, and uh, uh, the cool thing about uh, you know the the X two that you know that uh, that evil didn't get in, but that, but it's on the ramp. The, the dirt there is actually from um, the site, and uh, behind the dirt you see some old tin cans. Well, when they're when Lathan and uh, I think Brian was there too, when they were getting artifacts tr- to, to put in the museum, and they found these tin cans, they kind of opened them up because they're really very badly uh, um, weathered and rusted. I said they're old Olympia cans, and so they're probably there from that time of, of that original jump, and so um, oh, that's yeah. that's there too. So it's kind of neat little trinkets, you know, from from times ago. So just little intricacies of things that were there is, uh, was was very cool. Awesome. And uh, I so awesome. I'd say that if anybody can get a chance to go there, and you're a fan of evil or you've heard of evil, you got to check out what this incredible man has just <laughs> has done and put himself through. And uh, and how he's fathered the way for um, all of us who, um, you know, get on ATVs or get on bikes or get in cars to to jump it, you know, and to feel the you know the wind in your hair. You know, I've I've jumped off buildings and you know that kind of stuff. But um, you know, and um, it's all all the spirit of evil, you know. That's awesome. Now, how about you, Mike? Which was your what part was your uh, your favorite part of the museum? Uh, going to the bar after everything was all over. <laughs> <laughs> we did a lot of that. Yeah. Just the whole thing. I mean, uh, they put on a class act there when this grand opening. I mean, we had a large, extremely large tent there that uh, was packed, had lots of people there that had, uh, uh, you know, and, and to see the different people and uh, actually – you know, with Lathan and, and Mike Patterson and uh, uh, Marilyn Stemp, uh, Robbie Hole. I mean, it just went on and on. You know, that all the people up there, uh, how this came together, and and uh, you know how one of the uh, a man that I'd never uh, had met at the time. Uh, he, I guess he's an attorney that 
is a great part of this to help uh, to fund it to go along and um, that's another big reason why you know everybody says well, why did why did this museum go to to Topeka I mean with a Joey Chitwood connection and stuff and it, it just gets down to the bottom line is because we had people like uh, Lathan and Mike Patterson and, and, and I cannot thank you he's named the attorney that is one of the investors in it that stepped up and said, you know, and uh, and the banker and the people and everybody that's uh, that was actually there in Topeka stepped right up to it. And uh, I remember when Evil's been trying to do this for years that nobody, well, yeah, it's kind of neat. Yeah, we can, we, you know, I've got a little office space over there. I guess we could, you know, dedicate to a little bit of stuff and everything, but it just never materialized. And, uh, um, like the one in Vegas. I mean, it was uh, started out and kind of fizzled away because people just didn't step up to the deal and see the vision and what was going on. And uh, same way with the people that originally tried to uh, restore the truck. They just didn't have the passion. They didn't want to do it. They, was, they were not trying to look beyond their pocketbook of like, mm, well, yeah, we could probably, you know, do a little little side paint job and paint the windows and, you know, get get it looking pretty good and stuff but these guys did it first class full off-frame restoration on the truck um, and I mean the whole thing in the museum and everything was done just really nice and I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that's going to come around either people that's trying to put museums together or people that already have museums together to come to Topeka and see how you know a Harley-Davidson dealership with all their employees did it uh, can see how it's done and how it's done right. I mean, there was, uh, uh, I didn't see one so far. I have not seen anything on Facebook where anybody said that, no, Moa, that's terrible. You should have never been there. And, you know, it was a farce. Uh, uh, I haven't see, seen any of that yet. So that it was great, you know, uh, and uh, would, would come again. So No, it, it seems like you, you truly could, like, go there and spend the day there, like really to soak it in. It's not something that you walk through and 10 minutes later you're done. Well, and, no. and they've got it worked out where they you can put an armband on. Um, you know, you don't have to stay all there at one time. You know, I, I leave, you know, and say accidentally, you know, not to be able to come back and stuff. They put an armband on to you that, you know, you could go out and see some other stuff in Topeka, you know, and go out to dinner and, and uh, then come back. You know, look at look at even more. So uh, nice. that works pretty well with that, because um, it is it's it's pretty overwhelming the stuff. You know, you think at the front. Well, I, I better move along. There's a lot more. In this Lots of people stay at the front of it when they first come in to look at all the pictures and read all the letters and all the stuff that's describing. They have these little video monitors that have different uh, jumps and uh, interviews and stuff that you can see. Uh, uh, it's just a lot to see. You know, and right. So I, I think it, it's going to be, uh, you know, and, and every time that somebody goes through there, they they have more stuff to come. Um, uh, like the time we were out at Evil Days, um, there's a man that came up and started talking about uh, he was at the jump out there, and you know, lots of people were at the the uh, jump out there, and then he finally came up, and he was the original. Uh, iron worker that helped get the iron and put up the, uh, the original ramp for uh, evil to shoot off to out there at the, 
Pacific River Canyon and stuff, and they got a little more interesting and stuff. And he says, in fact, I've, I've got I've got the plants at home. And wow. I mean, Lathan was just, oh, you okay, you know? And and when he come back in, and Scott Truax even found about that, um, he said, you can't believe how much that saved on having to do a redesign and everything that they had the original plans and how that was built. Um, right. Uh, people were bringing jackets up that uh, the Olympia Electrocycle Service Center's uh, jackets, um, just things that they had collected over the years. They said, well, I got that at home. You know, you want to look at it? And, well, yeah, I guess we could look at that. And, uh, old T-shirts are starting, uh, original shirts are starting to surface from the Snake River Canyon. So I'm sure that there's going to be even more, uh, more stuff that's going to come through after people go through here and the word of mouth goes through and, and uh uh, I was blown away by the the memorabilia as far as the toys and the bikes and some other stuff that I had never seen before but uh, that was shown there. It's just, just amazing. Um, the the bedroom set that they used to sell through Sears, the uh, the curtains, the bedspread, the pillowcase, the, the, the uh, wastebasket, uh, you know, the lunch boxes, uh, the walkie-talkies. I, I never even knew about that. And There's a... Uh, the sky cycle is set on kind of a little ramp that's actually a tooth electric toothbrush. Um, I, I remember that one. Yeah, I had it. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> uh, it, it's just like everybody else. When originally, you know, Mickey Mouse got pretty popular in memorabilia and stuff, you know, and they said about the Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse wristwatch originals and, and they started telling about how much they were worth and stuff. I guarantee you there was mothers going to the attic and digging through there. And said, I know I bought one of them for my kids. And to right. see, see that stuff, and I'm sure people are going to go back and look, and uh, going to come out of the woodwork. Oh yeah, I've got something like that. Is that worth anything? You know. And, uh, but it's uh, a lot of neat people that's donated stuff to the museum, uh, you know, just to show it off because they don't want to keep it in some attic somewhere. And, right. Uh, and I'm hoping that's that's true. Some people come out and uh, you know know where stuff's at. And, uh, so, how oh, about I didn't for yourself? I was gonna say, how about yourself with um with Big Red? I, I mean, I, I know this isn't your first time seeing it restored, um, but it's gotta be like a uh, time warp for you to walk through that thing again. Well, it was quite a deal. Even you know when I walked through there with uh, you know Robbie and and uh, and Tracy, especially Tracy, and then she she went way back. In fact, I got pretty emotional about doing this because she. Uh, her her dad drove that truck quite a little bit by himself uh, when they first started out, uh, right? And took the family around, and you know, got had places to hire people to put his stuff together and his ramps. And then uh, she, you can remember lots of times, you know, she slept. Uh, there's a behind the the seats there before you go in through into the coach uh, that's cut out through there that you go from the the cab to the coach. But she used to sleep up there all the time and. She was telling me, he said, yeah, my dad made me feel like that was especially built for me to lay right up there so I could be in front. And, uh, oh, wow. And uh, and to see all of her family that's grown up. I mean, she was she was just a little girl when I met, uh, met all of the family and stuff. And uh, it's just pretty emotional about seeing her family, how it's, it's grown and meeting her husband and uh, uh, her wow. two boys. And uh, they must be raising them right because um, – all of Tracy's boys and family are just truly respectful of uh, everybody that they met. 
um, they weren't uppity or anything else, like, you know, who I am or whatever it is. I mean, they just, uh, um, like uh, Henry was talking about, uh, Darren Harvey's uh, son was, I mean, it just blows me away how respectful that kid is. I mean, he just, uh, he appreciated everything that somebody said, did, stood back, you know, and wasn't one of those, uh, um, you know, some of the celebrities talk about irritating fans, you know, to bust in and talk right. over you and just, I mean, you could tell he was excited, but he, you know, real respectful all that stuff goes on. Uh, one of the, uh, the other Scott Wiley, you know, this kind of historian with the, uh, with the museum and stuff, his son was, I mean, just yes, sir. No, sir. You know, and it just seems kind of like I said, I'm, I'm not your uh, officer in the in the army and stuff. You don't have to call me yes sir, no sir. And he says, "Okay, sir." And I'm like, "Wow, here he goes again." But yeah, all all of the all of the people we met there, I mean, just real respectful of what was going on there, uh, and to sit at the table with everybody, like our first guy up there, Ray Gunn. Uh, it, it just, you know, all the stories he could tell. I mean, he was there, and he's got they got a picture of him dressed up as a vet veterinarian up there. Uh, uh, when they did the snakes, jumping over the snakes. Uh, they've got his picture up there and young evil, you know, doing his stunt there and and all things that he could tell. And then John Hood, all the stuff that he could tell me about being <laughs> left in the bottom of the canyon when they were supposed to come back and get him and, uh, uh, and, and all his stories about how, you know, when he drove the truck and he was the, he was the sole guy over there. In fact, all the, responsibility fell on his shoulders and and uh you know he got kind of caught the wrath of not having the right sprocket on there but there was just nothing he could do he couldn't make that sprocket uh and uh that and then and, and, uh, uh jim ratliff you know uh lee's brother and stuff how hard deal at the kansas state fair and then how we traveled around and went to atlanta georgia and I, like i said i thought my uh my new job was kind of over with when he jumped over, jumped his ramp, you know, and, and, uh, fractured his back and stuff. And I thought, Hmm, I guess we won't be going anywhere else here for a while, but, uh, that just shows you how long that I was on there. You know, he bounced back and, and, uh, went to Oklahoma city and did his jump down there with a big back brace on. It was pretty painful for him to do that. But, uh, Said he had an obligation. He wanted to be there. The fans were there, and the tickets were already sold. So he said, "I got to do something." So uh, he forced himself to go through all of that. But all those memories come back, you know, when you're when you're there and you see the pictures and you see the um, see the fans and every people that's talking about it. To God, yeah, that was. So uh, they put a perspective in it because there for a while and and still on a lot of things. You've seen one drag strip. You've seen them all. And unless something <laughs> memorial happened there, you know, like the truck hitting the back of the, or the airplane hitting the back of the truck, or, uh, you know, the L.A. Coliseum where that was really publicized, it was a lot different than what we did, the, the ramp to going up in the stands and and uh, being on the Johnny Carson show. Uh, I mean, that was, a, you know, memorable deals of where it was at, but uh, Snake River Canyon, Wembley, um, all of those stuff and everything, you don't remember those until... Uh, you know, you go back and people go, Do you, were you at Beeline? Were you this? Were you that? Uh, well, we've seen the jet cycle, and, and uh, it's just got kind of overwhelming sometimes. 
Yeah, it, it's. I, I mean, it's different for us to be uh, as truly the fan looking in and being overwhelmed by it, but being a person who was there and part of it, uh, it's got to be a whole different uh, meaning for you, you know, without a doubt. Well, one of my one of my good friends that I made when I was working for uh, Evil is uh, Carl Green. I met him back out in uh, met him out in California. He's a car customizer, and uh, him and Jen, Gene Winfield, uh, who is, who is still alive, is uh, he's like in his nineties, I think now. But he, uh, him and Carl, was instrumental in making lots of cars uh, for for the movies. Um, you know, back. Back to the Future, they did some stuff with that car. Uh, I mean, numerous cars that he did, uh, along with Gene. And then they had uh, the Cadillac, the red Cadillac pickup. They did a lot of stuff with that. Uh, also, Carl did a lot of uh, uh, fixing a lot of Evil's cars and stuff. It's That's Blackhawk Convertible, which was only one in, one in the world that they made. And, uh, and any fender benders and stuff that Evil might have had with it, you know, Carl could fix that. He just didn't take it down to the local body shop and have them hammer on it. Uh, um, he knew how to do that. Uh, but Carl uh, had done an awful lot for Evil and traveled around, uh, took care of his motorcycle quite a little bit, um, hauling it all over. Carl uh, lived in Branson. He lived in uh, uh, Sedan, Kansas. And uh, and then that's where he also ran into uh, uh, John Mock, who was in the oil business that wanted to, uh, uh, he knew that this guy that Carl worked for at the time in Sedan owned the Cadillac pickup, and John Mock saw it and said that he thought he'd like to buy it, so that's what John over in, uh, in Eureka, Kansas, another Kansas connection, you know, with evil stuff, uh, and that Cadillac pickup is actually in the museum. And, um, we just got in the... Uh, uh, J.C. Agajanian number 98 uh, the uh, Bettenhauser the, the uh, racer did that from uh, J.C. Agajanian Jr. He uh, has it on loan to the uh, uh, museum for display up there along with the, like I say with a Cadillac pickup and all the stuff just comes back together. I mean I remember J., uh, J.C. Agajanian the senior you know uh, meeting him, and I mean, uh, his son was with us standing there on the ramp, Jay, and then now he's helping with everything, trying to bring all this back together from Ascot, where most of all, everything started at. I mean, you see lots and lots of stuff that happened back in the 60s there with Wild World of Sports, uh, you know, interviewing Evil in a suit. That just kind of, you know, with a burr haircut, that just kind of kind of blew me away, like, wow, it was Never seen evil in a suit before, <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of deal. But I keep asking Mike and those guys. I said, you know, you restored everything else and brought it up. I said, uh, when's my turn? You know, when are you going to start restoring? You know, get a hold of a plastic surgeon. You know, and we'll do some restoration <laughs> here or something. So, but uh, there were lots of memories at that table. Like I say, Lee, Jim Ratliff, me, um, Ray Gunn, and. Uh, uh, John Hood and, and Rick Noggle, I, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, and then uh, the painter, you know, going back with uh, uh, George Sedlak, 
painting everything. Uh, I remember meeting him back in Kewanee, Illinois, when Roger Remy's mechanic worked on everything. Here was this uh, young kind of a hippie painter and stuff that did some uh, things. Uh, Roger called him over to paint a tank for him and see what you can do because, you know, you will need something. And that kind of started uh, George off and doing things. Uh, he helped go leave some stuff on the truck at the time that we needed to be have touched up and done and uh, I don't believe you'd recognize George uh, I don't know where Henry did you did you see a picture of George who's a, when he was like 20 years old with his Fu Manchu and he yeah, definitely he doesn't look, look like, like that was, now uh, looked like he was the uh, lead singer for like uh, Fleetwood Mac or something exactly <laughs> <laughs> yep so but uh I just can't say enough about the museum, and I, I, I'm just no doubt in my mind it's going to continue on. They've got some new stuff coming in, like if, uh, you know, later on down the line they need to switch some stuff around, you know, uh, to keep it going. I mean, uh, they're going to have it. I mean, they, these guys are just really forward thinking on it and what they're going to do with it, and um, I think they've got some plans in the future of how to make it even bigger and better. Now, is this going to be like a yearly event they're going to do, like a, like they did this past weekend, like a, a gathering each year? Or Well, uh, they're going to try to. I don't know. That's that's in the the making. That um, I know uh, John Hood said that he would like to make it a yearly deal. Um, uh, he would he would uh, if he's you know physically able to come to it. He like to he like to come every year and uh, meet the people and. Uh, I mean, John got pretty emotional himself. He said, "This, this is great." He, originally, John wasn't going to come because he's—I he, think he's 85. And then, see, Ray Gunn is like 87, I think, and Lee's 80. I'm 65. Um, so, really, time's not really on our deal. Uh, you know, it's one of those deals when you go into a, a restaurant sometimes for your—they make you pay <laughs> for your meal in advance. <laughs> uh, because I think you're not going to make it through the meal or something, but uh, those guys were all, you know, I, I just can't believe, you know, Ray and and and, and uh, John, pretty spry for guys their age. I mean, they put up with, they were there all day, and I mean, they met and greeted everybody and talked around. Uh, uh, those guys were just dynamite for being there, and like I said, they people come by and got all their autographs, which is kind of kind of freaky sometimes because we want to say we didn't jump they said no but you were there you helped him so um you know to bring us forward so there's lots of memories and stories that they could tell us and and uh, they had evil okay. evil tags there a license tag type uh, that you could have signed and uh we all and there were six of us there we got to sign those but you know like they got said like to sign them and uh anybody else that was there that was at the museum that uh, they wanted to get their autograph and stuff. They had a place to do that too. That's awesome. Yeah, when I hey, saw Barry. the pictures that John was there, I, I was like, "Oh man, I, I to be." <laughs> so, uh, can you guys hear me? I can hear yeah, you now. You know. kind of broke out there for a minute. <laughs> Now, I said uh, when I saw the pictures that John Hood made it, I, that's when I really got bummed I, I, that I should have really uh, tried to get out there. 
Well, like I said, you know, John John wasn't going to come out. Neither was uh, was Ray, and uh, you know, and uh, Lathan kept you know on to him and said, "Oh, we got to be, we got to be there." And uh, he called back at the last minute. He said, "I'm going to be there." And they went with Ray. Uh, said, "I got to be there," because it's, that was that was the deal. Uh, the grand opening. Uh, you couldn't have had anybody else. It's just like, you know. I was telling you about Carl and stuff about he had planned on this forever and ever, you know, and, and doing stuff. And then we brought him up at the, at the factory, you know, he kind of, kind of fell that he didn't want to, you know, do any more customizing, been doing some other stuff. See, and he was like in his seventies and he, he just didn't really do stuff. kind of a couch potato here in Wichita when he moved here and, and, uh, Lathan and I talked to him about it. Why don't you come? Why don't you come up to the fact? Why don't you come up to the museum? Well, well, okay. And this is when it was just starting up and everything. And finally, he kind of seen the vision like everybody else did, and he got excited again. And he was going up there and working on the truck also, and fixing things on those. And you know, the the guy that helped repaint the cab and stuff. You, you know, you couldn't have better customizers and Carl Green and and uh, Todd Williams up there, they just, uh, those guys knew what they were doing, and they were both in right. awe of each other, what they did. So, And then, you know, Carl had, you know, passed away before all of this deal. I mean, he was, I'm sure he was looking down on us and saying, you know, uh, his biggest thing was, this is going to be a really big thing. That was his favorite sayings and stuff. And But his mm-hmm. family was all there. Marsha Green was there, and Amanda, and, and given giving her dad support and stuff. So that's nice. Pretty, pretty How neat. about the, uh, the virtual reality jump, uh, Mike or, uh, chemo. Did you either use uh try that? Oh, yes, I did. And that was very, very cool. I mean, <clears throat> you sit on that and as you're looking around, I mean, you can, you can see the hair, the, the chest hairs on Doug danger as you, you know, when you're, when you look down in the, on that um, virtuality um, headset, and then you see people in the buildings and people sitting on the side. And once you jump over, I mean, it's kind of overwhelming because you're you're going at that speed. You see, like what what Doug, Robbie, and Henry they what they witness when they head up to a ramp. It's very 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 cool. That's awesome. Yeah, How about you, uh, Mike? And you can and you can watch people do that. Uh, how much that they get into that because you can see uh, how the actual uh, moving the handlebars back and forth, twisting the throttle, pushing on the brake, whatever else it was, uh, the the bike does not move. I mean, it is um, the other simulation has it has a fan that blows uh, air onto you. It has a, a vibration mechanism underneath the seat to give you a little bit oh, of wow. sensation that you're moving, but your eyes and um, your body does different things of how you lean, and, and it, it's kind of different to watch people really lean into the motorcycle when he turns up there. Uh, when uh, uh, Doug Danger actually is turning, he didn't hit the curb, but that makes you look like you're going to hit the curb, and you really lean over on a bike, and you turn the front end of the bike that way, and and some people wow. even put their foot down like they thought they were going to fall over. And they've got <laughs> a guy that's up there that it helps kind of brace you up there. Uh, um uh, Henry's mom rode that. Uh, I don't know how old your mom is, uh, Henry, but uh, seventy-four. 
And I'm pleased wow. to say she handled it like a daredevil because I trained her right. <laughs> she looked. She had those goggles look back and forth. You could tell she was looking through the crowd, looking at all the deals. The handlebars moved just enough where it looked like she was riding down the street of doing it. Uh, and it really got pretty uh, – uh, that was neat to watch her doing it. You know, and then you got these other guys that on there been been riding motorcycles and stuff, and they were leaning over in the seat, clear over to the side, and got the handlebars clear to the left. And, and uh, in fact, uh, Mike was talking about that he had some customers in uh, over on the uh, historic Harley Demons, and they were uh, going to buy a motorcycle. And they were signing all the paperwork and doing stuff, and – they had a uh, a uh, woman that was on the motorcycle that uh, it was got pretty uh, she got pretty intense as far as you know uh, screaming about how he almost hit the ramp you know and she <laughs> was definitely uh, uh, pretty loud and these people were like what's going on oh well they're uh, she's riding the you know simulator motorcycle over there and they were like well okay and then. They went back to signing again, and they really, I thought they, Mike was there, I probably thought they were going to call the police that somebody was abusing this woman over. <laughs> so they almost lost the sale over this woman screaming and hollering over there until they went over and finally looked and saw what it was. And and I think they even tried it themselves and thought it was pretty neat. But uh, every once in a while, you'll get uh, about every other person or something like that, you might get some of them, but they really get excited. And they're like, oh, because it does, it, it feels like you're right there. Um, it sure does, and, uh, and you know, Mike uh, Lee went on it too. Yes, Lee went on to yeah. it. Um, um, uh, Ray Gunn did it, and uh, John Hood did it. Um, oh no, kidding! I think they all did it. I think uh, Jim did it too, Ratliff and stuff. But uh, it was uh, oh, even his uh, brother Rick Rick Ratliff, uh, he wrote it too, and it. Uh, Who jumped the furthest? It... <laughs> jumped the furthest. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'd, I had a little trouble. I didn't get enough power at the end of it and stuff. I didn't get quite over it. But, yeah, but, uh, yeah it, it's pretty neat. It's, it's, what was kind of weird about it is I was at that Topeka jump when he's doing that. He had all them cameras stuck on his helmet and stuff and and uh, looked like Medusa with all the snakes in her head and stuff. But, anyway, he uh, he come riding up there, and, and uh, I was standing on the corner. And it was kind of neat to put those on and look on. Well, there I am standing on the corner over here. You know, it's kind of, but uh, it, and it's not just a straight deal. I mean, you, when you move the the goggles like you're looking around on the screen and stuff, you can see people in the stands and whatever it is. And then you look forward, and that's the only kind of control that you have that you can see back and forth. As far as making the motorcycle move back and forth or the the film was responsive to the motorcycle, that's that's not maybe later on down the line that they might do that. But right now it's rigid and does that. And so your, your eyes and your brain and your body has to adjust all of that. And I'd have to be the first one to admit that I, I got a little nauseous. I don't like spin around rides anyway, but uh, this one, uh, my eyes and brain and stuff was telling me, I said, Hey, you know, you're moving, but uh, you're not. And uh, you get a little nauseous sometimes. Makes you a little lightheaded anyway. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome! That is so awesome. Well, I, I hope I truly do hope. Me, Laban has told me that uh, if I get down there and jump, they're going to put that helmet on me, and uh, then you guys will get the pit bull experience too. So that'd be kind of cool because I want to I want to jump some semis with a ATV. So 
Let's hope we get that done. Right on. Yeah, that would be cool. That would definitely be cool. And I hope they do this like a yearly thing. I truly do. I think it would be a nice, uh, nice little. I, I mean, they, I, we know they do uh, the evil days out in Butte, but. Well, I think Lathan's trying to make a. I think that's the plan. He's wanting to make uh, evil days Midwest version, uh, and the focal point be that museum and uh, make it a yearly event. Uh, I think that's his hope. Yeah, it would be awesome. Truly awesome. Cool. Well, and, and Henry, we didn't get your – what was your favorite part of the uh, the museum? Big Red. That was, uh, you know, uh, Mike can tell you, I've harped and bitched and moaned about that for years, uh, getting that taken care of, getting it out of the elements and getting it fixed and um, – we had to call security. We had to call security to get him out. Uh, he, you know, <laughs> Actually, he, he was he was right. bogey. He was he was bogeying it a little bit. So we had to, you know, other people to see it. And, so. <laughs> I, I I can I can actually tell you my my favorite experience is, is Big Red. But uh, there's a picture now. Uh, I've seen it on the wall of Evil sitting inside Big Red, and I re- recreated it. I think I sent that to you. Uh, I told Lathan I wanted to do it, and he liked the idea, so he took me in there, shut the door, chased everybody out, shut the door, and we spent five, ten minutes getting it just right. He took a bunch of pictures, and uh, we got to do that, and uh, that was pretty much uh, mission accomplished. We got got it where it should be, and now it's going to – now that thing's going to live forever now. That's I kind of wished we'd have, we'd have done that, you know, the reenactments and deals. I was going to – if Earl and Earl would have shown up, I was going to do a reenactment beside the door. But um, you know that picture that you you helped kind of do some stuff on. Well, you did it. You changed uh, uh, Lee and I around and put our picture on when we were standing beside the motorcycle at one of the dealerships. Yeah. Uh, and Lathan had taken a picture of uh, Lee and I. We'd we'd gone up to Rhode Island and uh, Lee and I was standing beside. Uh, outside the restaurant and stuff, and we kind of struck the same pose that was in this uh, picture a long time ago, and then Henry uh, photoshopped it into uh, there and fixed the picture all up and stuff, and when we were a little a little bit older anyway. And uh, so, yeah, you're doing that deal in the uh, in that. And the other one I would have probably done is uh, either done John Hood, you know, and superimposed him on that motorcycle looking at Wembley or uh, Ray Gunn, you know, with the snake deal ever being in the veterinarian coat and stuff and yeah. so it, it's kind of fun to do all of that and do little uh what we look like now where where are all of that now <laughs> uh, it's kind of fun for me i i threw out a couple ideas to uh mike uh what's his last name patterson is that right yeah mike yeah. patterson yeah yeah, he's the owner of Historic Harley Davidson. I threw a couple ideas out. I think this is my humble opinion. Uh, I think they should have evil evil days there. That's where everything's at. Plus, I think they should have a Daredevil Hall of Fame and Hall of Fame dinner. Uh, even if yep. it's just a little plaque. These are the people evil has influenced as part of the legacy. Uh, even Hell, they could even do like a walk of fame, pour the concrete, put the autographs in there, because these guys are not going to be around forever. And uh, that's just neat little things 
that keep the fans connected to these people. You know, like Gene Sullivan, he's in his, uh, he's like 72 now, I think, and he's still jumping. And I tell you what, that guy grabbed a hold of my hand. He felt like he's going to rip my arm out of the socket. He's a, <laughs> he's a big strapping boy still. So, uh, yes, very he impressive. Is. But, uh, you know, as much as we hate to admit it, we're not going to be around forever. And we're not going to be doing this forever. And I know they said, oh, we want to get some freestyle guys there. My personal opinion is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm personally, they're great athletes and everything, but you can only watch backflip so much. I like watching the ramp to ramp jumpers. That's me. I'm, I'm kind of a bridge between old school and the new school a little bit, and uh, that's what does it for me. And that's what this, you know, it's Evil Knievel. He, it's not Travis Pastrana. Right. Evil influence Travis for sure. He's great, but uh, there's enough old school jumpers out there. I think they should be appreciated. Just my humble opinion. I I agree. I think that's a, a would be a great idea uh, to do it on a yearly thing. Like uh, many uh, many daredevils followed um, Evil Robbie um, that never got you know the the acclaim that Evil did, but should still have uh, be honored in some type of way. And there's several of them that paid for it with their lives. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, you got, and this museum is chock full of evil can evil stuff, but there is room. You could put, and you could even rotate it, you know, a couple months at a time. A little display of the legacy of evil, you know, who he influenced, something like that. Uh, I think uh, during this. Uh, Evil Knievel days, they should have like an autograph day. Anybody that's a jumper should be invited to come. And you sit there and meet and take pictures and sign autographs and give posters away. You know, it's all, it should be all about the fans. It should be all about, uh, you know, helping connect and put a, a face to these names and actually show what they've done. And, uh, I mean, I know that includes myself a little bit. And, and you know, I don't mean it in a self-serving way. I just, uh, I know what that stuff meant to me when I was young, and uh, this is the way you keep it alive, by having an emotional connection with these people that come in here and look at this museum. Right. Right on. Cool. Well, uh, anything else anybody did wants you, to add before we uh, close up shop? Did you guys talk anything around? about uh, uh, Robbie doing his new uh, puppet show? We got into that a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> what, what were your? Did he do, now? Did he do it for everybody, or was it like a little closed yeah. audience? Well, anytime he's around, you're, you're kind of the audience. I mean, he he came from the airport and had him, and uh, and uh, came into the lobby of the hotel that way. But I didn't get to see them. We were we were inside the museum, and finally somebody come in, and I said, "Where'd you go to?" And he goes, "Oh, is that?" And then Robbie was doing his uh, puppet show, and I went, "Ah," so. A lot of us missed it, so I don't know uh, all about just what I've seen of it. It looks like it's be pretty fun. And then, like, say, when he brought him into the lobby, he was doing some stuff with it. So, uh, But he, he'll even admit, he said, you know, it's it's new something for him. He says, uh, I think it'll catch on. But he says, I do need to do a little polishing on it and stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm Mike, sure that he... Like me? I, were you like me? Did you think that that might be something that might be a little beneath him at first? Oh, I didn't. Uh, 
My phone is just broke out. Yeah, he, he said, uh, do you think do you think it might have been uh, a little, when he first talked about originally doing this, did you think it was maybe beneath him to do something like this? Well, I don't know whether it's beneath him or, you know, it's, it's like anything. You know, you can go from jumping and stuff. And uh, I think it was more of a release to hook back up to his dad. I know that he misses his dad a lot and stuff. And I think this is just his way to, you know, uh, his way of, of, of connecting back with his dad and stuff of all the, you know, there for a long time, you know, they were at odds and stuff. And, and right. uh, I think it was him just connecting back up and, you know, Robbie's had some tumbles and stuff back and forth and, you know, to get back on track and stuff. And I think he, this is one of the things I think he can do. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things you can't jump forever. And he's, um, he's probably getting pretty close to that point that it's his back is really, really messed up. And, uh, you know, for him to try to please his fans to continue to jump, I think he's, he's putting himself in lots of danger about doing that. So yeah, I, think I think it's still something that you can, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, they were talking about yeah, there's one going to be in Florida. The contract for one. Yeah, he said he did. Yeah. I think he's got one down in Florida, uh, like in uh, November. November 11th or something like that because uh, he was inviting me down to do that uh, and I'm like what you know so <clears throat> I don't know I just uh, you know I know he wants to continue jumping but uh, there's just some, there's there's a point where uh, you know he really uh, last time that he had jumped when they fixed his back and stuff he pulled a lot of screws and some other stuff loose in it and the doctor told him, he said, you know, quit, you know, you need to slow down or quit doing this or do little short jumps or something. But he did a real long one, you know, to prove that he could. And that's another thing. Sometimes your fans push you that, wow, that wasn't very far. Oh, you need to do this, you know. And that wasn't, right. you know, didn't look dangerous at all. And, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a jumper myself, but I imagine when somebody, well, that's a challenge. Oh, you don't think I can do that, do you? And, right. So they try to, you know, please their fans by doing that. And I'm like, mm. Mm. so hopefully, you know, Robbie can still make his personal appearances, sign autographs and, and be remembered for all the great stuff that he did and all the stuff that he was doing and still enjoy him, you know, uh, showing his dad off when he's, uh, when he was younger and jumping. And <clears throat> he's also got one where his dad's a lot older when he was going through his COPD and stuff and, he even has a little plastic nose counters underneath the nose of her, on his dad uh, for his uh, oxygen deal. So he, right. uh, he he left no stone unturned. I mean, he uh, – uh, so uh, you got the, the uh, you know, elderly evil in, uh, uh, in street clothes and stuff. And, uh, and then he uh, got him with a uh, candler in his nose and – and then he has the other one all in his full leathers and cape and stuff. So, <clears throat> but yeah, it, I think it's it's kind of a relief for e, or, uh, for Robbie too to, you know, to do that, and to also you know go back and remember all the things that his dad did and son. It was funny, you know, and it was. There's some things that you know Evil did, and I'm sure that they got to it was pretty pretty fun for him to do. So. I hope he. I wish him well with that. I hope he does real well with that, so he doesn't have to bust his butt anymore. 
It's just not. Yeah, it makes me very nervous that he's actually going to jump again. Yeah. Well, see, I want him. I want him to do just what his dad did at the later deal. So I went after Evil retired, you know, or really retired about doing that, and met Crystal and and uh, Evil over in Sedalia, Missouri. This is before he got, you know, got his COPD, and uh, <clears throat> he showed up over there. And John Mock brought the Cadillac pickup inside a Cruisers Club over there. Uh, we found a pinball machine we put in there. Uh, Carl Green was there with the Evil Eagle. Um, and brought the other motorcycle and put it in the back of the truck. Um, it was kind of a mini tour deal at that deal, and Evil signed a whole bunch of autographs and had lots of kids waiting in line to come up there and sign stuff. Uh, and then I met him down at uh, Miami, Oklahoma, not Miami, but Miami, Oklahoma, at the uh, Buffalo Chip Casino down there where they put on, and Evil used to have his uh, big motor home that he come down uh, and put a uh, had a big trailer on behind it that had uh, that statue that you saw there in the museum uh, at the entrance. Uh, had all the motorcycles, had the jump motorcycle in there, and had a street motorcycle. All the programs uh, uh, had a skeleton that had little pinpoints on it that showed his injuries, and and then the hydraulically the doors would open up on the side of it. Well, they had that inside this big arena inside the uh, the Buffalo Chip and and showed it off, um, and he would sign autographs in there. But uh, at that time, his COPD had kicked in, and he uh, he could only do like an hour at a time without his uh, with his machine on. He didn't like that too well, being out in the public with that on him. So he tried to do as best that he could. And he could always tell when he got at the end, he got really short in breath. And, and uh, he'd had to cut a lot of the uh, – I used to watch him just hundreds of people and sit there and write autographs with no problem. But with that type of deal, it really got pretty bad about an hour at a time. He was like, I need to get up. I need to go get my machine on and, and do that. And then, uh, then I met him back down at, uh, well, the first time I met him, I met him down in Oklahoma city. He was at a Lynn Hickey Dodge. They were doing, uh, Lynn Hickey did a promotional deal to sell 3000 cars and they were hoisted up in the air with Lynn Hickey, the owner, and uh, Tom Parks, who was the guy that travels around selling cars and stuff for dealerships. And then Evil was up there, and they did some like Blasties cars, Blasties prices and stuff, and they looked like they had one of them little mini rocket launchers, and then they looked like they were shooting at lower prices and stuff, and then this film would come up showing them blowing a car up or something. And But this van was hoisted uh three, four hundred feet up in the air on a crane and while they sat up there and it was a big promotion. I mean, there was lots of people there. Another autograph deal for doing that. Uh, Crystal was with him then. Uh, but he was driving his Aston Martin Lagonda then. And then uh then the next time he went down and helped <clears throat> after this other one down in uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, I traveled down there and watched him uh, uh he had a display set up there also. Um to sign autographs and then the I can't think the son's name it's not maybe his name is also Lynn but anyway he was every car that they sold or every two cars or something like that they would put a car in between uh, you know spread the ramps out a little bit and stuff and uh, he I'm sure he was kind of hoping they wouldn't sell too many cars that day because <laughs> stretch it way out there but anyway he uh uh, he, he jumped to Denson and Evil come up and introduced him and 
said he was giving him some pointers and stuff and how to do this and he made a successful jump and but like I said evil any time that he was crossing and coming this way uh, pretty close to me in Missouri Oklahoma from like it I usually go and see what he was doing for his appearances and I'm hoping that's what Robbie will do eventually you know and quit doing this because he's just really screwing himself up and uh, be able to go and feed and, and at the at the museum, he proved that. They had a line at his table, you know, to sign autographs. And to me, that's what he needs to start be doing instead of he doesn't have to continue to jump to uh, get his rewards of people remembering him and autographs and helmets and, and stuff like that. I just, I'm hoping that's what he can still do. And then um, and he, he proved it there at the museum when he had, they had a table set up for him and had a, when I come through there, he had a pretty good line through there, everybody waiting on to sign an autograph. So, um, still a still a crowd, you know. He can still pull a crowd to doing that, and he, I think he can do it without doing any jumps. So, hope he does that. I yep. agree. I, I think if he can get like somebody, um, uh, sad to say, but somebody like an evil uh, behind him with uh, evil's uh, brain and. Uh, knowledge for being able to, like we've said many times, sell himself, um, he would be able to just do that and not have to take his life in danger. Right, and that's, you know, and, and like I said, that, I think that's where Robbie's changing around. Uh, he was trying to be like his dad. Uh, he is enthusiastic, he does, but he doesn't have quite the, quite the promotional deal that his dad, you know, the charisma and stuff about doing that. It just... Um, um, but, you know, and not to take any anything from Robbie, you know, he and he'll tell you, he says, I'm not the greatest my dad was. And, uh, you know, he said, if I can just do half of what he did and and uh, and survive, he said, I'll be really happy and stuff. So, but, uh, but he got, you know, had made some wrong decisions here and there and stuff. And uh, um, what I've seen Robbie, it sounds like he's gotten pretty sincere and he's, you know, getting a lot better. So uh, I think he'll do okay. I think so too. Yep. Cool. So uh, anything else you guys wanted to touch on before we close up or? Uh, You know, I just want to really thank everybody involved, uh, all the crew, uh, Lathan, Robbie Hall, Mike Patterson, Marilyn, um, and they, they did a fantastic job, and uh, this is something, you know, even if you're just a casual fan, uh, it's something to experience. Um, it's the best 20 bucks you'll ever spend. Uh, yep. And I, I hope they do it. Evil Days, I would love to come there and perform at least once. I, I would love to do it for a couple of years. But uh, even if I don't, it was well worth going. I had a ball meeting everybody. Everybody's very kind, very friendly, very helpful. And uh, I'm sorry you didn't get to go, babe, but uh, the one last thing I want to say is you remember that artwork I did and had the shirt made out of? Which looked amazing. Yep. Well, I got the whole crew to sign it. Yeah. (laughs) I had the whole crew sign the sleeve. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, when I saw you wearing it, I was, I was, I was, ooh, that looks so good. I had so many people. Where did you get that shirt? Uh, 
I'm not telling. <laughs> um, and it was great to meet uh, Darren and Brian and Ethan and uh, my new friend Kimo. He's a great guy. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty much a great way to wrap it up for me. And uh hope to do it again next year. Yeah, pleasure meeting you. Yeah. Is Kimo still Absolutely. there? Kimo, nice, yes, nice talking to you, uh, meeting you. Uh, Mike, it's always, always a pleasure. Love when you call in with uh, with your stories. Uh, Henry, as always, you're the pit bull. Well, that's, that was the biggest thing. It's factor, you know, I told, you know, we were at the table. I said, uh, what we were doing, I said, well, John was lying, and I was backing him up on it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those one of those deals about doing so uh, but yeah, I'm glad Kimo came out, you know, we had dinner and stuff and all the fans that were there, Bob Cook was there at the dinner with us. Um uh, yeah, just uh from start to finish it was great. Well we're gonna be we we are definitely gonna be doing uh, another Evil Knievel show uh later in the year. But uh we're also uh my, Henry and myself are gonna go slightly off the Evil Knievel path also later in the year. And we're going to have a, a show that's been like an ongoing joke argument between Henry and myself for probably at least a Six year now. Bigfoot is bullshit. <laughs> and we, we, we have now uh, roped in uh, part of the Knievel family into it with uh, Robbie's daughter. Uh, Kristen's going to be involved, and we're going to do a big discussion on is Bigfoot real or, as Henry said, bullshit. So uh, <laughs> before we let everybody go, uh, Mike, your thoughts, is Bigfoot real or bullshit? Uh, it's unknown at this time. I have I don't have enough facts to give a deal. Uh, so there's no comment on this end so far. <laughs> you know, how about you? How's that for how's, how's it for a cop out? Yeah. That was you know if politicians can make a comment like that, we'd be a much happier world. Uh, exactly. I'll tw- I'll tweet you my answer. So. <laughs> <laughs> Kimo, your thoughts? Well, what yeah, do you think? I, I think the jury's still out, but I've seen some people walking around that have some pretty big feet. <laughs> well, do, they have a, data, do they have a Hawaiian version name. of Bigfoot? Kimo, is there um, a Hawaiian version of Bigfoot? Yeah, you go to any, some of the elementary schools in uh, in Honolulu, you'll see some of these guys who got really big feet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so there's bullshit in Hawaii too, right? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Very well. On that note, <laughs> I want to wish everybody thanks, a happy Fourth of July. What's that, Harry? Well, thanks for having the program and stuff. I, I said thanks, guys. Happy Fourth. I'll talk to you later, Bay. There happy you go, Fourth, to everybody. Okay, you too. thank you from Vegas. Bye-bye. See you all. All right, everybody, there they go. There goes the crew. Henry, Mike, Kimo. <coughs> excuse me. Happy 4th of July from myself. To everybody, hope everybody has a happy and safe holiday. Uh, enjoy uh, whatever festivities you got going on. Enjoy some fireworks tonight. And remember, uh, happy landings, everybody, and color me lucky. And until uh, our next Evil Knievel special, uh, stay driven. Make sure you check us out, Totally Driven Entertainment. Uh, look for us all over the world of social media, Totally Driven Entertainment, Totally Driven Radio. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And also check out our website, TotallyDrivenEntertainment.com. And make sure you go check out uh, for info on the 
Evil Can Evil Museum. I'm pretty sure it's just uh, evilmuseum.com. I think that's what it is. Uh, it's out there in Topeka, Kansas. And uh, thanks to Lathan and the crew for putting that all together for us. And uh, yeah, happy landings, everybody. Be safe. Take care. Stay driven. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.